Hi, I'm Kyle. And I'm Trevor. And welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. If you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein we introduce each other to films, expand our cinematic horizons, and in essence, catch up on our cinema. So it is the month of April 2021, and we are in the midst of our Action April event month. Uh, Essentially what we've been doing from week to week here is uh, taking a look at some of the most famous and formative of uh, films in the filmographies of some of the most prominent of action stars. Uh, So we kick things off with uh, Sylvester Stallone's Rambo First Blood Part 2. Then we moved on to Arnold Schwarzenegger's uh, Commando from the same year. Uh, And then we jumped a little bit ahead in the timeline to one Jean-Claude Van Damme's uh, Hard Target. Um, And Kyle is putting up his hand here. Uh, did you have something to add, sir? I didn't. I, we didn't mean to do this, but thinking about accents or just being able to understand the actor, we actually went from the least audible to the most audible, like the most the ones you can understand the best. Stallone, you can understand the least. Uh, Schwarzenegger, you have a little bit of trouble in the earlier movies, not too much, but a little. Jean Claude Van Damme, you can understand pretty well. It, he has a thick accent, but it's not too bad. And then. And then Steven Seagal. We actually just went up. <laughs> <laughs> the clarity of the English. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 it increased as we went along. But um, yeah, in case you weren't aware, our final episode for Action April uh, deals with one Mr. Steven Seagal. Yeah. And of course, his directorial, uh, solo directorial effort, his sole film in his filmography that he has directed on Deadly Ground from 1994. Um, as I mentioned, we jumped a little bit ahead in the timeline, and uh, just in case anyone has any questions in regards to why we may have done that. Um, so kind of the selection process for these movies was like working from the basic umbrella term of like, quote, action film. And when I think like traditional action film, I think, you know, big guns, big explosions, steroids for everyone, um, mostly from like the mid 80s and whatnot. Um, clearly, we're now in the mid 90s, but um, I think it's kind of fascinating taking a look at the filmographies of JCVD and uh, Seagal because they were very much contemporaries in the early goings. Yeah. Um, only difference was Van Damme was getting acting roles since like the late 70s, whereas Steven Seagal began in 1988 and then peaked in around like 1991 or 92. And then that was kind of it for him mm-hmm. as, a, as a box office draw anyway, whereas Van Damme would continue on have a serious dip and then come back, you know, stronger and better than ever. Um, that is not the case with Steven Seagal. Um, there, there's too many tales to tell about the man himself. Um, we will just say this up front. Steven Seagal is not a good human being. Nope. We, yeah, we, we do not condone <laughs> anything he's done or doing or did, whatever. Uh, yeah, we, we, we do not approve of the man. Yeah, no. He, he is not a man to be admired. Uh, however, I... You know, I, I got to come clean. I got to say I, I do have a like sub ironic enjoyment that I, I derive from some of his films, not nearly all of them, because some of them are just outright complete horseshit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Once once you get past like 19, like I think Mark for Death was like the last one of his like uh, one of these. I think Mark for Death was after this, was it not? Uh, no, it was before. Oh, okay. Um, so, so this was the explosion that was his career. Like this was it. Like, this this was this was the this was the end of the line. Yeah. This was this was the locomotive crashing into the mountain. 
This was Wiley Coyote going off the edge of the mountain, pausing for a second, saying "yipe" and falling. I don't know how true this is, but I believe that he agreed to do under. I read this on IMDb. He agreed to do Under Siege Two if he got to direct this. So, did this come out before or after Under Siege Two? It came out before. Okay. I don't. I don't know how successful Under Siege Two was. However, from a critical standpoint, I know it was panned for the most part. It's not horrible. It's it's not the worst. It's fun. Yeah, it's it's not the worst, and I have a I have a personal connection to it, um, which uh, I guess brings us to that part of the show here. So something we've been doing as we've been talking about um, each of these action stars uh, during Action April, uh, I've found it kind of interesting to just go around the table and and share stories about across the personal... table. <laughs> <laughs> it's just Kyle and I this time. Uh, some of the other episodes this month, if you haven't listened, uh, have had more than two hosts. But um, basically, I just like the idea of sharing our personal histories uh, with these with these figures because they they all have long storied careers. In the case of Steven Seagal, much of that has been in the direct to video market since like the late '90s. But um, <laughs> all of them have uh, have dense filmographies, so I think it's curious um, how everyone's familiar with them. So Kyle, like. What has or did uh, Steven Seagal mean to you? Well, uh, he was always uh, kind of an enigma, or like he was just always—he was always there. That's, that's by design. Yeah. <laughs> he was always there, and he always just seemed too dark for me as a kid. Like we had marked for death, and it was just like he wasn't an like we came from a Mel Gibson household. I think Arnold, like we as the kids, liked Arnold. My my parents they were Mel Gibson. Whatever Mel Gibson did, we ran we rented it. Ransom. We had all the Lethal Weapon movies. Anything he did was that was our guy. So I really want to get to Lethal Weapon at some point. Um, but we actually had Mark for Death on VHS, and I watched it. And I'm like, this is kind of like kind of dark. Like this is around the time I saw Predator Predator Two. I'm like, this I don't know about this guy. This is it was like voodoo and stuff like that, and that was the only one that we had in the house. Was that was the only Steven Seagal? But at like the video store, we always saw him. I'm just like, I don't know about this guy. So honestly, I didn't see. I saw Under Siege as an adult, and I saw Under Siege two. I just watched Under Siege two a few weeks ago, um, and this is my second viewing of this, and I think this might be the first movie I watched of his as an adult, and this is my second time seeing it. Tell me, Kyle, uh, in your youth, did you ever have nightmares of Jamaican gang lords coming into your bedroom and, like, chopping your head off with their cane swords? I mean, yeah, <laughs> I'm sure I did, <laughs> because <laughs> I didn't even make that connection until you just brought it up. Yeah. I mean, Predator 2 and, and Marked for Death came out, like, very close together, and apparently both of them were in your household. Man, I did not, yeah, we were really <laughs> afraid of Jamaican dudes in the 90s. Voodoo fucking magic, man. <laughs> you can't see the eyes of the demon till I'm done <laughs> Fucking love King Will. I cannot, I, I really need to rewatch that. It's been on my mind for weeks now. He come from the other side. <laughs> it does sound like he was doing a little, little bit of a Japanese <laughs> I don't know what that performance was, but I, I'm was so great. glad we I'm so glad we got it. But, yeah, um, yeah I, I get what you mean about the the darkness though. Um, yeah, Steven Seagal, especially his early filmography, actually maybe even in the entirety of his filmography, except for um the films that I like to call the uh, the Kung Fu Hip Hop Connection films. Yeah. 
there there was a short stretch of time in the early 2000s where we were pushing really hard to have those two things to have our, our peanut butter and our chocolate in the form of rappers and kung fu fighting in the same movie and you know those things traditionally do go together it's just that particular flavor of it is a very 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 distinct one because it truly only existed for a blink in the hollywood landscape i feel like quentin tarantino had to have something to do with that yeah and and rizza i'm sure as well yes yeah Um, wu-tang clan in general general yeah Yeah. (laughs) i mean he's he's kind of the the front man of of their producing efforts but as far as i understand he was he was you know talking to a lot of producers probably putting a lot of his own money into a lot of productions but yeah i mean we had like romeo must die and exit wounds with steven seagal and the movie with the jaw rule that i mentioned last time is called half past dead Mm. i I didn't remember that at the time of that recording but uh, aside from those movies which had like anthony anderson and tom arnold to to actually make them kind of fun um his movies tend to veer towards like mean like, like his characters are often oftentimes like hard-boiled cop types that have a mean streak to them and a lot of times you it's hard to rally behind them who who, you, like, who are you referring to steven seagal oh okay so you threw in some names i wasn't sure if you uh i got lost there for a sec <laughs> sorry <laughs> I do that. but yeah yeah like his his early filmography in particular were you know kind of like grimy like hard-boiled cop thrillers and stuff so it, it didn't have that fun factor that you would get from a larger than life character like arnold where everything he does is absurd because he's absurd and he can't help but be aware of that fact um <clears throat> so yeah it a lot i don't think he was very popular with kids in particular i think he was a he was a dad guy like the yes dad. yes <laughs> he was a dad guy yeah, like dads. Dads were probably the chief demographic for his for his success. <laughs> the mo- the only people buying tickets for these movies were guys who had t shirts tucked into their jeans. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I, I can totally picture that. But um, as for me and my connection to Steven Seagal, um, uh, funny enough, uh, one of the very first, if not the very first, R rated movies I ever saw was Under Siege Two: Dark Territory. Wow. Um, I seem to recall we were on like a family vacation or something and we were staying at like a, a motel or something. And I think they, it was the kind of situation where they had like a, a little VHS corner or something where you could borrow a tape from the front desk. Oh yeah. That and, would be, that would definitely be one of those. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A Steven Seagal movie yeah. is definitely what you would find at that kind of locale. Yes. Um, and I can't remember what the selections were, but that's what the family ended up watching. Somehow I was allowed to watch it. I've got it. It was uh, Lethal Weapon 3, Under Siege Under Siege 2, Dark Territory, and Nine and a Half Weeks. Nine and a half, I, I was thinking like Harry and the Hendersons or, or mm. Beethoven as well. Yeah, get rid of Under <laughs> oh, no. Problem Child. Problem Child, there you go. <laughs> no, problem Ooh. Child 2 or some shit. Yeah, somebody stole, the ta- somebody stole the tape for The Good Son, so yeah 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 (laughs) but yeah that was the one we ended up watching and i i don't remember him resonating with me at all yeah he did like nothing about him stood out to me other than his walk because he was starting to put on weight at that point in his career (laughs) and there's at least one shot from below like from an unflattering angle where he's like kind of he's kind of like his weight is kind of shifting back and forth in, in, in a way that one could even call a waddle. He's turning into, <laughs> he's basically, he's taking on Elvis. Like, he, he's aging the same way Elvis did. It's just like, 
He was a slinky, just like serpenty, just skinny dude. And then one would even call him lies. (laughs) (laughs) And then just a fucking brick wall. And he is. He's getting. I saw a recent. I think you did. You show me the video of him killing a dude. Basically, <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> he's fat as fuck in that video. In that little gift, like he is crazy fat, almost unrecognizable. Yeah, yeah. yeah the transformation has been uh, incredible, and, and actually, I'd like to come back to that. Uh, just let me wrap up the story real yeah, quick. But it. yeah, I, I saw. I watched Under Siege two. Uh, I completely put him out of my mind for quite a while although some of the action beats in that movie really stuck with me i seem to remember like drawing sketches of some of the moments from that movie there were some cool kills in that movie yeah um but then like way later i i came full circle and i came back to him and i started exploring like his his filmography a little bit and the man is he's a terrible human being but he's also kind of fascinating he uh, really is such that I ended up purchasing a book called Psychology about a, a decade ago. And it's like a comprehensive overview of his entire filmography as well as uh, related products. He had an energy drink at one point that I'm sure cans of it go for high prices on eBay these days. Um, I, I wouldn't pay money for it, but if somebody gifted me one, you know, I would probably display it and then feel really bad about it. But um, yeah, something that's going to come up during our talk about this movie is is just the subject of the man himself uh, because steven seagal is an enigma he, he is he is unknowable he he is this he the way i describe him is he's maybe hollywood maybe one of the best hollywood examples of somebody who is given the greatest launch ever mm-hmm. and then just utterly falls face first on on whatever chance of success they may have had if failure to launch if you will although this the launch at least was successful he just I, didn't escape orbit i will counter i think troy duffy uh carries that crown yeah i mean he got all of the weinstein's love and attention and money although over the course of that documentary we reviewed uh, it sounded like maybe that didn't last like up until the time of release. It was only like in the pre-production phase yeah. when they were enamored with him. And then when the movie was actually made, uh, I guess he had already ran out of favor with uh, with, yeah. the, with Miramax. Um, whereas in the case of Steven Seagal, you have a situation where his first movie, the first thing he ever did in the industry, aside from maybe consulting on like choreography or something was a film tailor-made from the ground up to showcase everything about him. Mm-hmm. And and this is how you create a monster. <laughs> like, honestly, that that's how you create a monster. That's how you feed someone's ego in the most dangerous way possible and, you know, le- put them down a road where they're going to fuck up badly. I've seen Hard to Kill. Not Hard to Kill. Is it, uh, what's his first one? Above the Law. I've seen Above the Law, and then what's the one with his wife? Hard to Kill. Hard to Kill. It is Hard yeah, to Kill. Yeah, Kelly LeBrock. Yes. I've Don't seen... hate me because I'm beautiful, LeBrock. Yeah, I've seen bits and pieces of that. Yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of trash. Um, <laughs> <laughs> although, uh, I will defend like the first five years of his filmography or so. Like Above the Law is quite solid. And like I said, everything about it was engineered to showcase him. Like... Uh, the very first scene in it is just him telling a slightly fictionalized tale of his actual life. Um, it gets to show off his Aikido ability, which at the time was legit. I don't know about now. 
Um, that's hard to say. Although, apparently, based on the video I sent you, he's still capable of murdering people in training sessions. Yeah. <laughs> well, provided they allow it to happen. Uh, <laughs> I think where he's living, it's fine. Uh, I, did, <laughs> I did see Out for Justice as well. Out for Justice is actually maybe one of my very favorites, if not my favorite. Uh, William Forsyth plays the bad guy in that one, and he's oddly, like, overweight in that one like it's yeah, strange because yeah. i i don't like I, I know william forsyth got a little chubby in the face like into the 90s like the late 90s like around the time he was doing the rock and stuff but in in 1991 it was kind of weird <laughs> but um i i have special affection for that one uh partially because steven seagal's fake italian accent kind of cracks me up a little bit <laughs> um, but yeah above the law gets to show off everything the man's capable of it's handled by andrew davis who is a very very capable like cop thriller director it's even shot in chicago makes the city look great hard to kill is like oh hey i'm kind of famous now i should find a way to shoehorn my wife into these films (laughs) so already he's kind of stroking his own ego mark for death is a a little bit of an oddity like it's it's maybe if you ask me it's it's a half step up from Hard to Kill, but only because the kills in it are so fucking metal. Mm-hmm. Like I actually did a write up of of the final kill in that movie because he has to kill that guy five times. <laughs> he, he puts his eyes out. He he banes him over his knee, and he throws him down a fucking elevator shaft. It's might, fucking savage. I'm gonna have to rewatch. Oh yeah, it. and the guy was a twin, so he kills that actor twice. <laughs> <laughs> and then Out for Justice, like I said, is I think actually just a kind of a solid like cop thriller like it's just a pretty overall good movie um and then the big one in terms of money making was under siege in 92 which uh you know it's die hard on a battleship mm-hmm. but it's still die hard on a battleship you know done well with some of some of the better cinematic villains of its day to be honest that's one of the most common things i hear said about that movie is that gary Busey and tommy lee jones were too good for that movie like it just seems to be a common comment about it. And, and it's hard to argue against that because both of them really do show the fuck up. Yeah, you don't... When you when you start watching Under Siege, you're like, oh, I'm going to watch a Steven Seagal movie. And, like, it's kind of a Steven Seagal movie. He's in it, but it's actually more about Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah, in terms of screen time, Steven Seagal is, is kept to a minimum. And actually, this would be the last movie that came out before On Deadly Ground. And, like I said, it was... On Deadly Ground was sandwiched between both under sieges, and uh, one could assume that his uh, lack of enthusiasm in his performance in the sequel was because, like, one, he had just come off of directing a movie that failed miserably, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then two, uh, maybe he got a little bit of a reality check and just didn't give a shit. But I would say Under Siege 2 did make money, it did just fine. Okay, that's good to know because I do actually think it's a decent action film. However, in terms of like Seagal's enthusiasm, on on closer inspection, you can tell that he didn't give as many fucks as he may have in the past. However, few those may have been. Yeah. But um, but yeah. Before we get into On Deadly Ground proper, I did want to disclose that I I did some uh, extra I did some extra credit. Uh, I did a little uh, research uh, on my own time, just for shits and giggles. Uh, I took it upon myself to watch the Saturday Night Live episode. Oh, the gosh. The one and only that he hosted. Um, because I do have Peacock. Um, I'm, I'm that guy who has Peacock for the next couple months. It's like watching um, Adam Goldberg get stabbed slowly in, in Saving Private Ryan, but you actually slow it down and watch it 
even slower. It's agony. It ag- agony is the right word, Kyle. Thank you, because yeah, I could not have put it better. Um, it does the slowest of fucking knives because I was I was actually physically squirming yes. in my seat. Yes, you are physically I, I wa- squirming. I, I, I wanted to put physical distance between myself and the screen. I I wanted to look away. He's like f- I have watched modern elevated horror films that gave me less issues than this did. Like I think. Lauren Michaels had grounds for like justifiable homicide at that point because he's banned a lot of people, but like that's the one where I'm like, I'm surprised they're like he didn't get shot in the middle of like commercial break. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like, <laughs> like it, it, it's it's shocking how bad it is. It word like anything you've read about how bad it is, you you don't know, you really don't because I I read plenty about. It. I've been reading about it for decades. I. I didn't know. The episode should be in the Criterion Collection. Like, <laughs> something that's it's one of the most challenging things I've ever seen. Truly. You should make a documentary. It's like the day Seagal came to Radio City or something. <laughs> uh, I think it could honestly be, uh, it could be a, a, an internet challenge. One, sit through and watch that. And then a second one would be watch On Deadly Ground without looking at your phone. I, oh. I dare say it's impossible. I think you're right, Kyle. It's impossible. <laughs> you can't you can't not pick up your phone watching this movie. You just gave me an idea for a mashup, Kyle. <laughs> what you do is you take the the scenes from a uh, Clockwork Orange where Malcolm McDowell's eyes are propped open. Yeah. And you just sub in ah! footage. <laughs> you just put you sub in footage of Seagal and Chris Farley just <laughs> stumbling through that fucking scene. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah, folks at home, I'll just summarize by saying it is over 10 minutes in a 37-minute uh, broadcast, apparently. Uh, that's minus musical acts and introductions, by the way. So it's over 10 minutes into a 37-minute piece of comedy that he even shows up. Uh, he has maybe 10 lines in that whole thing. And he's in two sketches in the entire thing. He has maybe 15 lines across both of those sketches. And, yeah, Lauren Michaels has long said he is the worst host they've ever had. He's not welcome back. And it's so obvious from a writing standpoint, they did everything they could to keep him off the stage. <laughs> and and it, what to make matters worse, Michael Bolton appears in one of the skits and he proves in like two seconds that he has better comedic chops and a better sense of humor than, than Steven Seagal. Have you ever seen <laughs> him do the song with the, the Lonely Island? I have. Yeah. And I, I think it's telling that yeah. the man has a sense of humor. He it's can great. laugh at himself and that's... That is Steven Seagal's story, is he has no ability to laugh at himself. He didn't make it into the 2000s and look back at that hairstyle and be like, man, I was a fucking joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Michael Bolton certainly had a come-to-Jesus moment. He he had to. Yeah. <laughs> Good for him. And, and it worked out for him. He's had he's had a career long after we all expected it to wrap up. Uh, hats off to Mike Judge. When you said Michael Bolton, I'm like, why was he on there? I was thinking Office Space, Michael Bolton. <laughs> oh shit. yeah good job <laughs> um and the other thing i did just for independent research was i watched beyond the law which is to date the most recent steven seagal film released whoa <laughs> <laughs> i guess i've said this many a time on the oh, podcast kyle man. you watched it the whole thing the whole thing. <laughs> I, I've mentioned it several times on the podcast. I, I do have semi-masochistic viewing tendencies when it comes to my consumption of media. 
And uh, Beyond the Law is uh, also, uh, I believe it's DMX's last on-screen appearance. Oh, DMX uh, is in it? He is. And it's not the only thing he's done with Steven Seagal, which is That's, kind yeah. of shocking. Yeah, he was also in Exit Wounds. Um, and yeah, he, he's in it as a villain, which was kind of shocking. Uh, he only gets to throw about two punches in anger and then gets shot. And unfortunately, it's one of those direct-to-video action movies where... Um, this is very, very common in the direct-to-video market if you're not aware of this, uh, folks at home. But um, basically, you take someone with some cachet, like some some name-brand value. You put them on the cover holding a gun. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's the most important part, that they're holding a gun. Because that promises the potential viewer that, oh, maybe they'll fire that gun at some point. That's still a big maybe, though. <laughs> but... Um, the way they do these movies is they get somebody to be in it, but then the actual main character is usually some guy you've never heard of, mm-hmm. and the plot usually doesn't revolve around those big-name star, quote-unquote big-name stars. And that was the case here, where Seagal plays... This is basically John Wick, honestly. Shocker. It, it, like, literally, it's John Wick. Um, Wait, and, and, is Seagal the John Wick? No. Um, wow. It's some guy you've never heard of. I'm sure. Uh, dmx is essentially he's kind of similar to like common in uh, john wick 2 okay so he's like he starts out good he turns bad you're not really sure where he's at because he's common and he's affable (laughs) (laughs) steven seagal plays uh like the what was it the swedish guy that was the bad guy at the end of the first john wick the dad of the guy who killed the dog oh i don't remember who that dude he point point is the story is a, a kid does something bad and the dad has to go avenge the kid and then he does so by killing both the kid and the kid's dad, gotcha. and Steven Seagal's the dad. Oh, uh, but, but yeah, it was it was it was a fart in the wind. It's um, it does have a couple of good lines from Steven Steven Seagal that I may have to like isolate and put up somewhere just for shits and giggles. But <laughs> anyway, yeah, I I subjected myself to quite a lot of bad Steven Seagal media in the past week. But uh, we should probably get to on deadly ground, um, which as I said, only film ever directed by Steven Seagal. He has produced a couple of other low-key movies that nobody cares about, including some, like, family drama. Uh, but, yeah, this is the only film he's ever directed. And it's kind of interesting because you can tell, even though this is shocker, not a very good movie, um, you could tell how how elevated his position was in Hollywood when he made this, uh, just based on the quality of what we did get mm-hmm. because because a lot of the people working on this film that aren't him showed up and that includes like the dp and to some extent like the editor and even the music's good um but yeah kyle how do you want to tackle this one <laughs> <laughs> like do you want the plot or how we're going to tackle the movie well i guess first things first give us a plot summary if you can <laughs> i was just say i honestly don't know what the plot of this movie is aside from because I, I don't know what the issue is with the oil rig I don't even know what, like, uh, Forrest Taft. I kept calling him Casey Ryback. Uh, Forrest Taft. I don't even understand what his job is with these people. Yeah, I don't really know what it is either. He just seems like the is guy it, who, he, he cleans up messes, I guess. I'm trying, so it's an oil, it's an oil tycoon is, ba- I think, well, from my understanding, from what I understand, he's, his oil is polluting native lands and they're protesting and then he's going to do something that they don't want him to do. And Steven Seagal has to stop him from doing it. That's honestly, that's the best I could get out of what the plot is. 
Yeah, uh, it, it may as well be a plot summary. Sure, okay. <laughs> I'm no, sorry. It, th- that's about as close as it gets, folks. But um, one thing to keep in the back of your mind as you're watching it is, uh, I don't know what year Dances with Wolves came out. That sounds like in, 91. In this country, it was a big fucking deal. Like I can't speak for the rest of the world, but we we over here were kind of enamored with that movie, and they share some DNA here. It's ni- the, ni- 1990. Good job, Kyle. I, I would have guessed late 80s. I know my, I'm not even a Kevin Costner fan, but I know when his movies come out. <laughs> it's in the wind. Yeah. You smell it. You just know it. <laughs> but, yeah, um, they they call they call this like subgenre of film like a, a white savior movie, and that's kind of what this is. Yes. Where, uh, Dances with Wolves is maybe the most like significant example in modern times. Um, the last Samurai was kind of criticized for similar reasons, although I do actually kind of mm. like that movie. I, I and, do too. Yeah. Yeah, it, I actually kind of like that movie, <laughs> but um, and basically what it what it is is some white guy gets introduced to some foreign community falls in love with it and then becomes their protect he basically does their thing better than them <laughs> yeah and uh i think that if he would have stayed in this movie if he would have stayed with the tribe he would have turned that into you know you have to have sex with me every woman in this camp has to have sex with me oh yeah we'll we'll get to that bit a little bit later because bear in mind folks at home directed this film yeah <laughs> steven seagal it's directed this film very important to understand <laughs> when we get to the tribe part it was directed by steven seagal yeah that it's a very important fact to keep in the back of your mind this everything that is in this movie for the most part was okayed by the man himself if you have if you don't know any of the negative stuff about him you can find it pretty easily but basically <laughs> the man has had some sexual harassment assault rape allegations all the all of it basically and yeah, a sex no, he, dungeon on two i think all of this allegedly but yes yeah if you have any questions as to why he's so friendly with vladimir putin and why he has cer- citizenship in both russia and serbia it's because he's probably not welcome back home no one, did, <laughs> no one in america goes to those places for <laughs> for any other reason <laughs> well it it's it's telling that it's i don't know if he's been back on an american soil in quite a while <laughs> i don't think he has no. no not not since uh not since all the scandals like erupted like outright in public and yeah. stuff but um yeah I, like i said he directed the film so of course his introduction to the film Ugh. is only fitting um this is something we've talked about in almost every episode this month where how although i was referencing monsters when i did so which is fitting we're talking about steven seagal um so the way he's introduced is we we get this uh, lovely nature photography montage of the alaskan wilderness um some of the nature photography in this film is quite beautiful by the way oh no uh, some of the look i was it's it's shot pretty well like there's actually some pretty good stuff in here it's like i said from the the production is solid like the pyrotechnics are good the editing is it's not a busted film like like it's coherent for the most part um the lighting's good the pyrotechnics are good the choreography's fine like it's mostly a movie which is more than you can say for some other bad movies um which is kind of shocking given who handled it but uh, we get like nature photography but then um our hero arrives via chopper to a like an oil rig that's on fire 
And when the chopper touches down, the camera's like set to the ground level and his feet step into frame first. And then like the, the music swells heroically <laughs> as, as the camera like rides up his leg and up to his face. And the first thing he does is smoke a... Yeah. It's, what is he smoking? It's it's a little. I actually have I have a, a little box of them. They're they're just little cigars. It's it's so like a Swisher Sweet or something. <laughs> so there's I've like uh, mine are actually nice. They're a little more expensive. The ones he has are like the ones that you just roll up, like are like really loosely rolled, kind of shittily rolled. Uh, this whole opening scene one makes no sense uh, as to why they would be there. There's an oil rig on fire, and they helicopter him in. He has absolutely no hustle whatsoever <laughs> like, we're talking we're talking uh there will be blood this thing is on fire yeah no it, it is is chaos and mass hysteria there are people extras are all over the place covered in act yeah screaming and running for the fucking hills and he has no hustle he the first thing he does is he lights himself a little cigar and then this this diminutive old man right he's the <laughs> doctor dr wiley runs up to yeah. him <laughs> he's uh tommy lee jones's uh partner at the beginning of men in black he's the old man oh he's a little yeah, old i guy. thought i recognized him yeah. thanks for that yeah. I, I i knew i recognized him thanks I, I i had that on the tip of my tongue but yeah it's it's tommy lee jones's uh soon to be retired partner yeah um and he runs up to seagal and he's bitching about the fire he's like ah, damn what is it preventers are the it's it's a buzzword that gets thrown around a lot in the movie basically there's a component of these oil rigs owned by our villain of the film michael kane wearing a lot of just for men oh my never gosh. seen his hair this color before i think it's actually it's actually what the amount of uh just for men he has in his hair i think is lethal like i don't think you're supposed to put this much in your hair yeah, I, I think you're right. I, I think he may have developed like lasting health issues because of this film. Yeah, <laughs> but um, basically, the the con here is that uh, apparently they're using shitty parts for these oil rigs because mm. they're trying to save a buck, or they don't give a shit about the environment. Point is, this was a preventable accident that the old man's bitching about because he's like, ah, people's lives are at stake. And uh, I like how Seagal, like he, of course, he's where Seagal is a chameleon. I've said this before on the podcast that you place him in an environment and he instantly just kind of contours himself to that environment. Yeah. People speak a certain dialect. He adopts that dialect. And oh, yeah, he does it better than you. Uh, you wear a certain kind of clothes. He wears that kind of clothes and he looks better than you. <laughs> uh, in this case, his his look for this movie is leather and fringe. Yes, fringe. I think fringe is the way to go. Fringe. Yeah. Yes. yes. Lots of fringe. Um, yeah, he wears a lot of Native American patterned uh, fringe jackets in this film. Um, although, if he has any Native heritage in this film, it's not disclosed, although it does seem like it, maybe it was in the script at some point. But I said the edit of this film was coherent, not not good. Yeah, <laughs> big difference. <laughs> but, um, yeah, he takes off his fringe coat and immediately replaces it with, like, a like a flame retardant yellow jumpsuit and like like kyle said no hustle no and that's a good thing because if you've ever seen the man run it's not pretty especially especially in 1994 um i think the last time i ever saw him run outright was this movie maybe maybe the glimmer man but i think it was this movie but it was in slow motion so his form is disguised a little bit oh, okay um but some of the most famous clips of his running come from uh above the law probably and and the very beginning of mark to death because yeah. he he is outright sprinting in that like he's hauling ass and I, 
windmills <laughs> like windmills that's what his arms are doing <laughs> it's bad yeah it, it's it's real bad look it up though it's hilarious <laughs> um, but uh yeah basically he's here to to put out the fire with some sort of explosive like a counter explosion or something to to snuff the the flame um but Kyle, do you want to point out uh, some of our uh, our goon squad we have on site just to, to watch the fireworks? Yes, the always great John C. McGinley is our number two. Uh, his his name number two. Uh, <laughs> uh, John C. McGinley. I, God, I I like him in this role because he God the man just has an awesome intensity about him, and he just he brings it to everything he does. But uh, uh, Sven Oli Thorson <laughs> pops up as well. Like, huh. And I looked, I'm like, is he going to be in every movie we covered? I went back, I'm like, I know he's not in Rambo, but I went back to see if he was uh, Arnold and he did any stunts in Commando, but he did not. So, only two movies Sven Ole Thorsen is in this movie, and they let him talk. This is only, I think, maybe the second movie I've ever heard him talk in. Yeah, uh, folks at home, if you're not aware, this is something that Kyle was very excited to to look into to see if Sven is allowed to speak in his in his native accent uh, in in films. And this is the only one that comes to mind, other than Gladiator. Uh, I actually I know of one other, but I haven't seen it. Um, Abraxas. Yes, he plays, the, he plays the villain in that, and he has a lot of dialogue. I was thinking like something with Jesse Ventura. I'm like, I know there's a movie with Jesse Ventura where he talks, but I couldn't think of it. But yeah, Abraxas. Um, yeah. So Michael Caine, like you said, is our villain, and uh, the only other uh, only other actor I wanted to pin, uh, point out was uh, Joan Chin. Oh, even though she's not really much of a character in this movie, uh, she's from Twin Peaks, is what I, I know her from. Yeah, uh, she's worked with David Lynch, so you, sh- you know she's probably a little weird. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think I've seen her in a few other things, but like the only one that jumps out at the moment is judge dread you you, um, you say that but now that i think of like all the actors that i've seen in david lynch films i'm like they actually all seem like kind of normal people like kyle mclaughlin i'm like i feel like he's just a a, a normal dude laura dern does quite a bit of sure. david lynch yeah. yeah i feel like laura dern's pretty normal although she's been bill acting pullman. <laughs> bill pullman bill pullman yes uh yeah i she might be a little off possibly because she did twin peaks is a different thing because jack nance was in that and that's a <laughs> that dude's off <laughs> was awesome. <laughs> uh, but yeah, she is in this film. She does uh, play kind of a romantic lead. Um, but yeah, Sven and John C. McGinley and Michael Caine are just kind of hanging back, watching all the action unfold. And uh, one thing that I was I was really excited for Kyle, I think when I first recommended this movie to you a long time ago, um, was the ADR. Uh, because it's often been said that overuse of ADR is often a sign of some form of trouble uh during production and you know being as it's the only film steven seagal has ever made uh, it's no surprise that there's quite a bit of adr in this film but the choices of adr here like i'm used to movies where they they like slip in bits of dialogue to like smooth the plot along Mm -hmm. like like people facing away from the camera and just like add in one little bit of expedient dialogue just to allow you to cut out a scene or something to speed up the movie or something i'm really used to that that's normal i would say there's um, one in six days seven nights i always remember she's like it took them like three months to repair the light outside my uh my apartment and they're like it's just like a shot of them from like a thousand feet away like she's not saying that but yeah i'm with you 
and it's one of those things that I know you key in on, and I I do too. Um, partially because of conversations with you, where I, I've actually made a little bit of the game out of it. Where when you notice it, it's it's kind of fun to try to wrap your head around why did they do that? Like what what was the thinking behind doing that? Because sometimes it's because you have Jean Claude Van Damme doing Street Fighter, and he's probably full of cocaine and <laughs> slurring his words yeah. because not a native English speaker and cocaine yeah. <laughs> um, but then sometimes you have situations where it's like we need to cut out a scene later in the movie or maybe test audiences were confused so maybe maybe we need just one line of dialogue to fill in a blank that maybe most people missed the adr in this movie however is so bizarre like and the first time you notice it is in the first scene of the movie where i i shit you not we have lines of dialogue saying Oh shit! It's forest. Yeah. Oh, that that fire's going out in no time, and, and basically just like like pats on the ba- verbal pats on the back that are so clearly added in post production. <laughs> That's like, who directed this movie again? <laughs> Steve, Steven Seagal would the, if they figured out how to uh, figured out a way to clone or maybe even like t- to do time travel. Either way, cloning or time travel would be him sucking his own dick because he he's like his own grandmother he's just like i love this person more than anything in the world (laughs) it's just like you're doing such a great job he's the greatest ever yeah no i couldn't have said it better um Uh, he he would suck his own dick if he was limber enough yeah Um, and i scarcely believe he is (laughs) oh he's tried he's definitely he He, can't do it now (laughs) he has made attempts i'm sure (laughs) but but yeah that's that's kind of the story behind Steven Seagal is he, he is the man who bought into his own hype. He, he is the man who believes in himself more than anyone else on the planet. And he, he does so with such boldness that you're laughing at him constantly. And he has nothing to respond to you. Well, with. Like he's just totally stone faced. I mean, I, yes, but I don't think that's really fair. It's just that I think all, like all the dudes that we've covered are all vain. Like they, all absolutely have, yeah. like that's what especially arnold and uh, rambo uh sylvester stallone sylvester stallone is like notoriously vain but i like jean claude van damme i'm like i think he probably suck his own dick too it's just like he's not gonna he's he's not as uh forthcoming about it whereas seagal it's like it's pretty obvious this dude loves himself yeah i mean i'm, I'm glad you brought up those other stars because you are absolutely right um to be an action star you typically do have to have an ego and to be a bodybuilder in particular you I yeah. mean, your your job is to look at yourself in the mirror basically mm-hmm. <laughs> like like yeah. that's a huge part of it otherwise you're not doing the job um only difference was most of them had a humbling moment or like a speed bump in their career at some point and came out of it okay like they they came out of it and they learned a lesson from it and they grew from it Steven Seagal never, never did. did. <laughs> his, say, never his, did. His speed bump was this movie, but then he just kept on doing the same thing. He always, he never learned from that mistake. Whereas yeah. Arnold, you know, he, I think I think the most important thing with Arnold is that he recognized immediately how ludicrous of a human being he was, yeah. and he just embraced it. And Van Damme, I mean, his entire career and in fact his life kind of came crashing down sometime in the 90s when his addiction problems got out of control mm-hmm. and guess what you know in the in like the mid 2000s he came back he did some pretty solid stuff and now he's kind of like a i don't know an embraced icon that is kind of thriving on the internet kind of quietly that's nice <laughs> and stallone stallone's kind of been working consistently as well and mm-hmm. 
he had some shit times, but then he came back with Rocky Balboa and proved that, hey, you know, I still kind of got it. You just have to put, you just have to let me do the things that I'm meant to do rather than, he's not meant to stretch his wings is what I'm getting at. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, we get this whole sequence here where uh, Steven Seagal gets to show off how badass he is by walking into a, a flame wall uh, with a shield. And he has, <laughs> he has a whole bunch of people like handing him tools and stuff. It, it, actually kind of reminded me and like this is actually part of like a theory that i have as to why he has the mindset he does it kind of reminded me of 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 like like almost like ancient japanese living like like being a lord in a household like being of social status like being a samurai where you where you own land you have servants you have people working beneath you and stuff and it's no secret that the man has owned and operated aikido dojos for decades Mm. and part of the master and student relationship in particular in in that breed of martial art is kind of like the master is is the master so you're filled with a room of dozens of people who have to defer to you even if you're full of shit ah and that's the relationship and on a movie set things kind of work that way like they don't always work that way but it kind of creates like a fantasy realm where in real life, I don't think that many people like Steven Seagal. I wouldn't expect so anyway. But on a movie set, you can create a, like a false reality where everybody has to like you mm-hmm. because you're at the top of the food chain. And when the cameras are rolling, you have a bunch of actors who that's the script. They have they have to pretend they like you. So I could totally see that feeling like comfortable to him where it's like, yeah, I earned this. I belong here. Everybody likes me. Um, I would say I think Michael Bay is exactly that director. Uh, <laughs> uh, but no, there. I'm glad you mentioned that because there. Uh, so he ends up, whatever he's doing, he's like taking a wrench to a chain. Like, oh, I wonder if this is gonna work. <laughs> like, he's doing nothing. He, he looks at a readout and he's like, huh? And he just kind of walks out slowly and he's just like, it, it just it explodes. But he has a moment and I was like, this is co- this is pretty cool. He's getting ready to do the explosion. He turns around. He's like, move. All he does is just like two waves. And I'm talking like 30 dudes just turn around and start running. Like all these extras just turn around and start running like that. I'm like, that was actually pretty impressive that he got them all to go at the exact same time. Haul ass. It was like, it was pretty impressive. (laughs) Yeah. He, he commanded the room, but um, long story short, uh, we get an awkward moment where he locks eyes with Michael Caine Mm -hmm. and everybody like ducks and covers like, take like they eat dirt they lay down and for some reason michael kane just stands he's the only one left standing even sven Oli thorson who i'm sure has terrible knees even he eats dirt. <laughs> yeah <laughs> even he drops down to the floor and uh steven seagal and michael kane lock eyes and they like smile at each other mm-hmm. and then seagal hits the detonator and we get a giant fireball behind him because 90s that's what we're all about and he successfully detonates the explosive and stops the the oil fire uh, and then we we leave the site and uh we have the conversation in the helicopter ride back to civilization where uh it's basically hinted that michael kane is up to no good shocker yeah anyone with that hair is clearly up to no good yeah <laughs> also that bolo tie is a weird choice well yeah his accent goes in it like it doesn't go in and out but you're just you still know it's my uh, my cocaine. Uh, you still know it's him. It's it's really strange because he's doing an American accent, but he is. I, I felt like it was like he's. It feels like an American accent. Like it's not an American accent, but he's flattened out the English accent. 
Okay, because I I saw some like I, like a YouTube video or something when I was doing my Googles for this movie, saying like Michael Caine's Texan accent, and I was like, I didn't detect anything. Like I just I just heard Michael Caine, but maybe it's me filling in the blanks or something. I I I do believe he did flatten it out or something. Do you know those those uh, pictures that they show you? It's like this is a black and white photo, but they put these red dots all over the place, so it actually has color. It's like that. It's like when you hear Michael Caine talk and he just flattens out the English accent, like you still hear the Cockney accent. It's impossible. Yeah. You, I mean, you you see that face, you fill in those blanks. Are they? Do they fly to Seattle? I, I don't know if it was Seattle, but it. I mean, it has a Pacific Northwestern vibe to it. It, it feels Pacific Northwestern, but I was looking at the filming locations because I'm like, what city is this? I'm like, I couldn't tell what it was, but one of the filming locations was Seattle. I'm like, I'm not sure what part that was, but I, I couldn't figure out what this city was. I mean, maybe maybe those were Seattle skyscrapers. Or, uh, maybe it's just an angle I'm not familiar with. Perhaps Anchorage. Maybe it was supposed to be Anchorage. I don't know. Never mm, been. No idea, but we only have a few uh, city shots in this film, and yeah. it would not actually surprise me at all if those were in Seattle. Um, but, yeah, we have a conversation in the helicopter ride back um, where basically the only information exchanged here is that um, – the old man, uh, Tommy Lee Jones's old friend that looks like Dr. Wiley, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, was telling Steven Seagal that uh, the equipment was on the fritz probably because the, the CEO is fucking with us and is cutting corners. Um, and basically, Seagal lets him know that, hey, I'm, I'm kind of wise to your operation. Um, but this is, this is where the uh, directorial choices kind of get in the way of the storytelling here because we have a situation where... In the very first scene we're introduced to him, Forrest Taft, Steven Seagal's character, is shown to be a prick because the old man doesn't like him, because he's on the payroll of a monster, mm-hmm. um, but he's also a hero because he saved all those oil workers and put out the fire. Yes. And then w- when we're back on the helicopter, he's immediately suspicious of the bad guy. So what I think we were trying to do here was we were trying to show an arc but it's Steven Seagal, and Steven Seagal doesn't have arcs because he's he's the alpha human being. Yes. He's already at the top. He, he can't climb any higher. So there's no lessons to be learned by one Steven Seagal. So in, an, in a different movie with a different actor, the script would be written in such a way where we get to spend some time with him being a prick. We get to see, see, him, see him do some questionable shit for a little while. And then he has a teaching moment, and then he grows from it, and then we get to our resolution. In this one, it's like right off the bat, like we don't really get any chance to see him in a in a poor light. So he'd be like Diane Kruger in National Treasure, where she's kind of the dick to Nicolas Cage, and then eventually she's like, well, maybe this guy is actually good, and maybe I should do something. <laughs> she was such a nothing in those movies. <laughs> like the only thing I noticed about her as an actress in those movies, I'm sure she's a fine actress. Um, she's German, Correct. Correct. Yeah, I'm sure Kruger. she's a fine actor. Yeah, <laughs> no, she's I, Japanese. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm sure maybe she's relations to Robert Englund. I don't know. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm sure she's a fine actress in German. I haven't seen any of those movies, but the only thing I got out of the National Treasure films was just like squinting. Like the first time I'd come back to them, I'd be like, "She's German." Yeah, <laughs> I was like, you, "I'm picking up something there." <laughs> you're waiting for the little breaks in her accent. Like, wait, was that? yeah <laughs> that's literally all all that popped up on my radar it was like i get nothing from her no charisma i was like she german <laughs> yeah because her her scene in uh inglorious bastard she was 
explicitly like she was like undercover so it's a it's a weird it's a weird kind of performance that's the only other thing i've seen her in was those two movies like i said she's probably had much like arnold Vosloo, probably had a career long before she got here yeah a better career hopefully um but she, yeah uh following the helicopter seat oh kyle's making a face are we getting to the are we getting to the damn bar scene yeah i was about to say it's a steven seagal movie there are many prerequisites for a traditional seagal movie and one of those is there has to be a bar fight yeah there has to be a fight uh (laughs) specifically in a bar i want to i want to apologize to matt because when he said that steven seagal kicks people's asses i'm like nah he just flips them over i'm like no 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 no. casey ryback just flips people over Forrest Taft is fucking people up in this movie. Yeah, actually, I I didn't want to stop the flow because we had a good one going in that episode. But my my understanding of Seagal's methodology when it comes to putting together fight sequences for his movies is that people come at him and then he shoves them into foreign objects. Yeah. It's like when you're playing an old wrestling game and you're grappling with someone and you move close to like a dumpster and yeah. the dumpster starts writing up like lighting up red telling you that if you press the button you'll put him into the dumpster yeah. <laughs> so seagal does that where he grabs you and then he just ushers you to whatever pointy jagged surface there may be in the environment and he shoves you into it <laughs> but he does some he does a lot of kicking in this movie uh and a not lot a of good look no it's not uh he does a lot of <laughs> kicking a lot of impaling but he has a conversation with the old guy, and they're like figuring out, like, oh, he's doing bad shit, and that's kind of <laughs> the whole thing. That's all you really needed from this scene. The rest, this is like a ten-minute scene of uh, fucking uh, mental from Dumb and Dumber picking on a, uh, I'm guessing a homeless Native American gentleman. Homeless in Alaska does not sound like a good time. That he doesn't is, sound fun. He is like an awful bully to this to this guy and it takes steven seagal's character a long time to do anything like i don't think he was even going to do anything about it um and he's humiliating this guy but the amount of people uh once once forrest gets called out by this big guy uh the amount of people that get into this altercation is insane because it's the whole bar yeah it, it is it is literally the whole bar um so Basically, the only important information that gets exchanged between Dr. Wiley and Forrest Taft here is um, preventers are no good. Look into it. So go to the headquarters, check the computer logs and stuff. Oh, yeah. And he also mentions, hey, I left a bunch of guns up at your house. Can I come pick them up later? And he's oh. like, oh, yeah, sure. I'll leave them out in the open for you. <laughs> I didn't catch that, but that makes so much more sense because when he gets to the house later, I'm like, what? He just had a fucking backpack of gun, like of guns in there? Like, yeah, I'm glad that he mentioned it at the bar. At least there's a reason for it to be there. It's such a bizarre thing that it's like you would expect of all things to like be a wave away where it's just like, oh, we, we forgot to film that scene. They actually remembered to add that line of dialogue in there to justify all the guns being in that old man's house. It's shocking. Yeah. Like, it's a shocking show of competence on the part of the production. Steve, but, the property damage. So he's about to get into this fight. She's like, uh, he gets up and she's like, oh, shit. And like, I feel like everybody in the whole bar also, is this an ADR? There, I have my favorite ADR line from this scene. Um, there's quite a few of them and i i wrote some of them down i'm curious what your personal favorite is but yeah she does say don't break anything for us he (laughs) breaks the whole bar like every like every window every table this place is demolished 
and yeah, uh, he he punches some people with the bar basically <laughs> yes it's it's a full bar brawl except it's one guy fighting one person at a time and he still destroys the place yeah, um, a, a jackie chan fight scene this is not however the property da- property damage is close to it as is the use of foreign objects it's sufficient um, um, yeah it, it's sufficient <laughs> i'm like man this fight really escalated uh but the my favorite adr line was my nuts yes there is a guy that gets he gets a like a, a side kick it's, gets, it's a weird angled kick i thought he got melvined i thought he got like the, <laughs> i thought he got like the fucking whatever front wedgie that bill and ted do i thought he did like a front wedgie he's like my nuts just... no, it, it's where you're you have your opponent standing sideways to you and you like flick out the bottom half of your leg sideways mm-hmm. it, it's 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 like a, a fish hook shaped kick from from the kneecap down and okay. he like he hits the guy with his heel, and he's just, oh, my nuts! Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty great. Oh, yeah, and one of the people he beats up is incredibly old. Yes, that's <laughs> like, the guy. Okay. I think that's the guy. No, it's a different guy. Jesus. There are, there are many old men that get dispatched here, but there is a there is an ancient man that gets utterly clobbered. Like He gets killed three times before he hits the ground. Dude, it's so bad. This fight goes on for like 10 minutes. Like just... I did like the I did like the touch where the jukebox skips. That was kind of cool. I didn't catch that. Uh, I mean, it's like I said, he he fights these people not with his fists, but but with the bar, with the real estate. I do like. And how... at one point, someone does smash into the jukebox, and the song starts skipping. Doesn't he just initiate it by jumping on the table and kicking the dude? Yeah, it's pretty funny. Yeah, I, I yeah he he does a crane kick off of a fucking table. Pretty and funny. by the way, the man he kicked uh, is a Bobo from the Double Dragon movie. You have seen this man in if you've seen a '90s action movie. Uh, the actor's name is Nils Allen Stewart, and he's always recognizable because he has like a weird. It's like a, it's like a ponytail, but it, it's it's a. Oh yeah yeah really, yeah yeah yeah! I recognized him immediately. He, yeah, his hairstyle is is immediately recognizable, yeah. and he's he's massive, and um, he's he's the guy that gets the kick off of the table. He's in the mask. That's why I always remember him from. Oh yeah, that's right. He was at the 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 dance sequence in the in the dance hall. Yeah, um, but. The uh, the center the centerpiece of this though is of course Mike Starr, uh, aka Mental from Dumb and Dumber. Um, I love Mike Starr. Mm-hmm. He makes me laugh. <laughs> he just makes me laugh by looking at him, honestly. <laughs> but um, he was the instigator, uh, supposedly. Uh, he didn't throw the first punch. Steven Seagal did. <laughs> yeah. And basically, this conflict in the bar, uh, the it's supposed to be between oil workers and Native Americans. Although that no Native Americans throw any hands in this entire sequence. No. Nope. <laughs> um, and all these people, I guess, are oil workers, and they just kind of like gang up on Seagal because they support each other or something. And he breaks all of them into itty bitty pieces because Steven Seagal doesn't take a single hit. And you can tell he, Steven Seagal has a reputation for being really cruel to his stunt players in his films. Um, ev- everybody hates the man. Even I- Kane, Kane Hodder dislikes him. Do you, do you know anything about Kane Hodder? I know that he is a monster, uh, size-wise. He's he's actually not that big. He's big, but he's not gigantic. He was actually kicked off of being Jason because he was too small for Freddy vs. Jason. Who am I? Kane, oh, Kane, I'm thinking of the dude who played Michael Myers in the Rob Zombie films. That Not that guy. Oh, uh, I'm, uh, Tyler Maine. Yeah, I'm thinking of somebody else, yeah. Kane Ty- Hodder's Tyler, the other guy. Tyler Maine is like, he's, he's like between triple h and big show in size he's big 
He's a big guy. <laughs> I mean, you told me that story of when they had the they didn't have the prop door, and he said, "Fuck it." Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hollow. Kyle told <laughs> Hollow. Fuck, fuck it. it. <laughs> Kyle told me a story of Tyler Maine on um, was it the Rob Zombie Halloween movie? There was a scene where he had to like break down a door, and they didn't apparently have a prop door, and he just smashed the door. <laughs> I don't know if I told you that, but I was aware of it. I think you did, but it's possible. Um, anyway. Um, Mike Starr is the guy. Oh, by the way, um, Kane Hodder. Yes. Um, Kane Hodder has a heart of gold. Like, he seems like the kindest man, and he hates Steven Seagal. Because <laughs> well, apparently Steven Seagal beat on him pretty serious. And Sven. Sven Seagal pissed off Sven. Yeah, he, uh, what happened? Like, Sven accidentally hit him or something like that. I don't remember what it was, but uh, Seagal, like, chopped him in the throat and knocked him out. Yeah, um, so life imitating art or reverse it flip it don't really care um <laughs> uh, so a thing that happens in a lot of steven seagal movies and kyle has brought this up before even when we aren't talking seagal movies is uh people that know how to fight asking you to to throw on them that that's kind of a dick move honestly yeah like like, like because you have those powers that it's your responsibility to not exploit those that's part of being a martial artist is being able to dismantle people and just not because you're better than that. Yeah. <laughs> but Steven Seagal is not. Not if, you're a D- <laughs> not if you're a Diaz brother. Not if you were a Diaz brother, but go ahead. <laughs> they, they come from a different dojo. It's a different, different... dojo. <laughs> <laughs> different dojo, man. Um, but in Steven Seagal's case, um, something that happens in a lot of his movies is he, he steps to people that are being bullies verbally, and then he asks them to escalate things physically, and then he throws it back on them and beats on them. This guy had it coming. Uh, yeah, but with Sven Oli Thorson, the story went that uh, he Seagal wanted to like do an exhibition with him just to see what he could do with him as a performer, and then he asked him to throw a kick, and I guess Sven actually kicked him and knocked him down, and then when they got to the set, uh, Seagal actually like legit hit him in the throat while the cameras were rolling, Oof. not not in private, like while the cameras were rolling, and then to to throw salt on the wound, not only did he knock Sven to the floor and like unconscious for a few seconds, he also cut out some of his scenes fuck him oh yeah he's a salty he's a salty prick because well, uh, he he cuts fed <laughs> the man doesn't How get to dare you cut Sven. the man doesn't get to work that much outside of arnold movies but he apparently went to kick like he kicked him he blocked him, he's like kick harder like try harder this time and he did and he got knocked down and then yeah what a bitch yeah uh, i'll i'll I have one more point about that, but we'll get there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Mike Starr is the—he's the final boss of the bar fight. Mm-hmm. And uh, instead of just coming out and outright slugging him, we do a the a game. Hand slap game. Stop playing the game, Mike Starr. Yeah, he plays. He he gets knocked down like three times. Like, dude, just stop playing. You don't have to keep <laughs> playing the game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, you could argue that maybe this is like a some sort of statement about toxic masculinity or something, but. Um, from Seagal? <laughs> Delivered by the worst possible human being to try to make a statement on that. Yeah. <laughs> but it he's trying to say something here. The message is horribly muddied to the point that it's indecipherable. But, yeah, he plays the hand slap game with, with Mike Starr, which, if you're not aware, is basically where you both hold out your palms and then flip your hands and slap each other. And whoever apparently lands a slap gets to land a free punch. And... This scene goes on and on and on. It's of Mike Starr just repeatedly getting punched in the stomach. At one point, he even pukes. Um, and you was can tell that Steven Seagal. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was ad libbed, I'm sure. I'm Gross. sure that was ad libbed. But um, 
there's also some juicy ADR during this scene, though. Um, someone in the background says, this guy doesn't have a fucking clue. And then, of course, because Steven Seagal directed this film, and I'm sure was in the editing room, he's hot Yeah, from one of the females in the crowd. <laughs> I put that in the back of my mind. I'm like, did she just say he's hot? I'm like, she did. absolutely not. Yeah. <sighs> Again, when you have creative control of a product, you can do some slimy shit. Jesus. <laughs> and like I said, this is why I, I talked so long about ADR early on, is mm. because this is something that a conscious decision was made to add that to the film (laughs) it it belongs in the film the film would not be complete without that woman saying i'm hot yes jesus fucking christ but uh yeah mike star gets the shit kicked out of him and then we get uh, a line that i've used to my girlfriend and i i had to i just i couldn't even get it out uh without laughing because i was like you have no idea what i'm talking (laughs) about or why this is funny but uh, i need time to change <laughs> it's like what does it take to change the, the the spirit of a man i need time to change <laughs> and this is where i'm like i'm gonna look up some trivia about this movie and then 20 minutes later i'm like oh there's still the, the movie's going on uh yeah we're like 20 minutes into the movie and kyle's probably pulled his phone out like three times at least at least at least, at least. uh um, however the next scene is one that is worth watching if you have if you even if you don't have a interest in the movie um I, this is kind of curious it's the commercial scene oh the Kyle. caribou commercial yes it's very this is this should be on his acting reel uh honestly. it's good <laughs> because he comes so they have this they have this staged uh irving kirshner uh, a little cameo here director of uh robocop 2 and star wars episode 5 uh but yeah he they're directing this commercial it's supposed to be like we at uh aegis uh we at aegis oil we care about the caribou they're beautiful creatures and it's just he, the Irvin Kirshner's character is like trying to give him direction. He's like, listen, I don't need you to give me any fucking direction. I know what I'm doing. And he just gives this beautiful little speech. And then as soon as it's goes like, these fucking things smell. He is the, he is such a potty mouth in this movie. It, he has one scene where he has three sentences and he uses six or seven different curse words in those three sentences. But yes, this is, this is an excellent little scene. Yeah, that was something that Kyle and I mentioned to each other like immediately before we started recording is that this is not a good movie. It's not a particularly well-directed movie. However, some credit does belong to the actors because we do have some talented people here and they did show the fuck up. He, and Michael Caine, he actually gave a performance. Because <laughs> he's been in some shit. But, he has. <laughs> uh, he Yeah, he does not give up. Like This is uh, through the whole film. He does not give up. Yeah, no, it, it's kind of neat seeing him actually try to make something of it. Uh, it's, it's shocking. It's neat. It actually, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> honestly, if it weren't for him and John C. McGinley, like the rest, like you would not pay attention to this movie. It could not happen. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple other bit players that are fun for Kyle and I because we've seen enough of these dumb action movies that like guys like Sven, yeah. give, you know, we get cheap pops for seeing Sven do anything, but. Huh. Um, <laughs> for for you folks at home probably don't give two shits no. but, but yeah this commercial sequence is actually quite funny uh, the timing on it is good the edits are good mm-hmm. um, I think like the national anthem is playing under his, yeah. his, it's pretty great and then the timing of like the, the record scratch and him going back into his like evil evil business tycoon mode is, is pretty solid and then we, we head back to his uh, like his was this before Muppets Christmas Carol um, uh, 94? When was Muppets... Car- I'm looking Christmas it up Carol? right now. Okay. 
Well, um, we go back to his office, and uh, basically we get some go we get gobs actually, not just some. We get gobs of exposition here explaining the plot, like why we're doing the things we're doing, and it's because uh, Michael Caine uh, has a oil platform that he's trying to get up and running, a brand shiny new one, and apparently if he can't get it operational within a certain time frame uh the rights to the land which it was built upon will revert back to the alaskan natives yeah uh, so he's he's on a strict timeline and uh he's he's evil so he, he's gonna do whatever it takes he is i mean he is one of the worst possible bosses to work for where he has he talks to you like you're a piece of shit he screams at you and you don't know when it's coming it could come at any time He's unpredictable with it because this scene he yells at his uh, his assistant, uh, who he was just being friendly with. He starts screaming at her. Some dude I don't even know who he is. He just starts screaming at him like he is just a full blown asshole in this. Pretty oh yeah, the the lady that gets it the worst though is the woman doing his makeup as he's oh, sitting. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's pretty great. Um, there's something weird with the audio in this scene because. Um, his his audio is like full of echo, and it sounds like the microphone was thirty feet away from him, and then everyone in the else in the room sounds just fine. So maybe maybe Michael Caine tried when he was on the set, but maybe they couldn't get him back for ADR. Very possible. <laughs> I I mean honestly, if it is it in my contract, then fuck off. Yeah, <laughs> I mean he's actually been very coy about shitting on this movie. I think the only thing he publicly said about it uh, in terms of negativity was he didn't like filming in Alaska. I think that's just, that was it. That's just, that, that's just good business. Like, just don't talk shit about your former employers. Don't shit where you sleep, yeah. even if you're no longer sleeping there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, long story short, uh, John C. McGinley is made aware that, hmm... Uh, the old guy. A, the old guy is up to no good because he's he's apparently been collecting information about the faulty parts that they've been using, and it could halt progress on the on the new oil platform. And in the meantime, uh, Steven Seagal has to go to the oil platform to check out the computer mainframe. This is uh, because he's 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 Steven Seagal. He knows how to use computers in 1994. He's not even typing. He's not. He's literally not even pushing down the keys. Uh, one thing that has to happen in a Steven Seagal movie as well, at least from what I can understand, is there has to be a number two goon who wants to kill the fuck out of him. Who's like, I, I, dude, I just, I want to do it so bad. And John, this is John C. McKinley. Like, I would personally like to take care of this, sir. It's very subtle, but it's there. Uh, but he's like, you know what? You deal with other shit right now. Don't worry about that right now. I was say, but this sequence where he goes to... I, is he in the same room as the security guard? Because the way it's shot, it looks like the security guard is just on the other side of the desk. But I'm thinking, like, that doesn't make any sense to what's happening. <laughs> so, can you please tell me? <laughs> Sorry, he's laughing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I was I was having to stifle some laughs with my hand there. Oh. Um, yes, the the way this is edited, it's like shot reverse shot for like a conversation between two people across a table, but with two people in completely separate okay. locations. So they're in two different locations. It's so <laughs> weird. In two completely separate locations. It's threw me off. But I I know exactly what you're talking about. The visual language communicated here is a little. A little off, yeah. but I'm guessing those were the only shots they had, and unfortunately, this is essential information to the plot progression. But yeah, one thing, um, another prerequisite for a Steven Seagal movie is uh, something that we kind of talked about a little bit uh, in the beginning and in the bar scene, is that people got to like Steven Seagal. 
Like Steven Seagal is always well liked in his movies, regardless of what kind of character he's playing, especially early in his filmography when he had, you know, some sway in the production area, like in terms of producing the films and stuff. He's a man of the people and uh, Under Siege in particular always stuck out to me like a sore thumb where like the early scenes when he's a when he's just Casey fucking Ryback, the, Mm -hmm. the cook on the ship. Like, those scenes, like, those casual dialogue scenes between him and all the other sailors feel so false. (laughs) Trevor, if I had to put money on something, I guarantee you he has no friends. He's never had friends. Yeah, that's my suspicion. And I I do think that there there are some parallels between his time spent in the martial arts and his, his... how comfortable he is on a movie set where it's like there's an artificiality to those relationships that you know it in a in a proper martial arts dojo where you don't have a steven seagal running the fucking school um there is actual reverence but in in his school i'm sure it's the kind of thing where nobody actually likes him he probably smells bad and he hurts you yeah (laughs) in a lot of situations where you probably where it's not called for but um, yeah, in, in his movies, generally just like random townsfolk and stuff always have nice things to say about him and always recognize him. And he usually has a quip or two that feels really stilted and shitty. And in this movie, I just noticed it's just like one shot. But when he's showing up at the at the oil platform, again, he directed the movie. So this shot's in there for a reason, apparently. It contributes nothing of importance to the plot. He just like he looks at the guy that's running the security gate and he says, Life goes on and he's like, Yeah, sure does. <laughs> it's like, yeah, Steven Seagal, you and I see eye to eye on things. You I wanna grab a beer, Steve? I <laughs> could you imagine going to a restaurant with him? Like I couldn't even imagine where it would go. Just like, Oh yeah, you got this here? I've had this in another place. It was way better. It's just immediate like he would just be the worst kind of worst kind of uh uh what do you call him? God, what if you had a, a female waitress? Oh God, yeah, no, oy, oy. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it would not be good. Yeah, but yeah, dinner conversation with Steven Seagal would be super check. Do we get to check? <laughs> check? Honestly, <laughs> no, 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 Steve, I'm good. To get, I, you know, I gotta go. I'll grab the check. I got, we gotta go. No, that, that's where you, you know, you do the skin thirty routine. <laughs> like, oh, I gotta hit the old dusty trail. Yeah, you know? like, <laughs> I gotta be up early and shit. You know, that's where you have that that date call where it's like, call me within five minutes to see if I want to stay on the date. That's every time you go out to dinner with Steven Seagal. Yeah, I'm I'm proud to have actually been close enough with people to have gotten that call. Oh, really? <laughs> nice. Yeah, it made me feel special. <laughs> it made me feel a little alarmed that I have friends that need to make that call. Yeah. I was happy to have received it. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, Steven Seagal goes to the computers. He learns that, yes, in fact, uh, Aegis is up to no good. Uh, they're, par- they're, like, buying cheap parts, and they're trying to up their schedule because they want to get their oil platform operational in time. Uh, so Michael Caine decides to pull the trigger on uh, axing the old man, or at least uh, squeezing the old man. Uh, reverse that (laughs) but um we also get some really shitty adr here where uh, michael kane sitting in center frame uh operates a remote control and he gets like a a dubbed line from his uh, receptionist saying like oh i have a call for you online something or other and he says i'll take it on the box his mouth does not move (laughs) (laughs) not not a lick um so good job good job steven seagal and your editor but um, next scene is uh, 
the old man uh, gonna die. Get, yeah, yeah. Kyle, do you want to walk us through the the end of Tommy Lee Jones's old friend? Yeah. So he's sitting at his computer doing something, and Sven and John C. McGinley just kind of just kind of mosey on into the house, I think, or they they let themselves in, um, and they're looking for some kind of evidence or a floppy disk of some kind and obviously the old man's not going to give it to him uh so there's a little bit of torture here uh is this a whale bone uh or... I, I think it's a dork like a i think dick? it's a whale dick bone oh. yeah okay uh, something I, I i had a scandinavian friend who had a, a dork in their household <laughs> a giant whale dick bone interesting okay yeah <laughs> yeah so they tied this old man up they uh pay back smash his fingers uh, just a couple of them at a time. So Johnson McGinley's like, well, this guy's not going to give it up. So he decides to flip the house trying to find this floppy disk. Uh, he spends a good two minutes on the gun cabinet. Like, he sits the guy down at the, the, the breakfast nook, and directly behind the breakfast nook is a gun cabinet. And John C. McGinley's like, asking him, where's it at? And he's just, like, moving the gun cabinet, and he keeps asking him where it's at. He keeps moving the gun I'm like, well, look at other places, man. <laughs> like, you're just, you're just working on that. He looks yeah. in the dishwasher for some fucking reason. Like, this man had no time to hide the floppy disk. Why do you think that he put it in the dishwasher? But he's just being... By the a- way, he was upstairs. He was- you were searching <laughs> downstairs. <laughs> yeah. Maybe go up the stairs. <laughs> yeah. He goes up to the computer and, like, like messes around on that. He's like, oh, it's not here. I think there's an ah-ah-ah. You didn't say The equivalent. Yeah. But it's interesting. He flips this whole house... But when Casey, not Casey, right? When Forrest Taft gets to that house later, I don't know. He just, he, he's just very much Casey Ryback in this. When he gets to the house, he goes into the closet and just picks up a backpack, and it's just right there. The floppy disk is just right there in the backpack. Johnson McGinley did a terrible, he's a terrible number two. He did a terrible job of flipping this house. Yeah, there's an ongoing problem with a lot of Steven Seagal movies, like even in his prime, like even in his theatrical film era uh where because steven seagal is the alpha human being because he has no weaknesses like he has no flaws what do you put up against him like i've mentioned this on the commando episode the problem with stacking a villain up against arnold is that they have to stand in front of arnold and they have to look convincing as a threat to arnold which you know for 1985 audiences all you had to do is have a guy built like arnold and everybody would be like, "Oh, it doesn't matter if he knows how to fight or not." Like I seen, I seen Conan the Barbarian. You don't need to know how to fight if you're that big. No, absolutely. <laughs> you just need to go until their head smashes. But um, in Seagal's case, I think his ego always got in the way because he never had any opposition. No. Like most of the villains in his movies come across as kind of wimpy, like good performances, but when they finally get like toe to toe with each other. There's no, there's no fireworks. Like, I always joke about the the finale of Under Siege, where it's a, it's actually a pretty ably uh, crafted knife fight. Like, for its time, the choreography of that knife fight is actually exceptional. Hmm. Only problem is Tommy Lee Jones gets cut to fucking ribbons in that fight, and it's pretty cool. Steven Seagal gets ass slice on his eyebrow. That is it. Yeah. <laughs> like that's it for the damage he incurs in that entire fight that's what i appreciate about mel gibson movies uh he always suffers some kind of damage like payback he is nearly dead patriot he is nearly dead lethal weapon one not nearly dead but he's pretty beat up lethal weapon two nearly dead but he always rises above and he has to push past that and it's usually pretty excessive what's happening to him 
Whereas Skull, it's like absolutely like oh, he just gets like a little nick on his on his eye. Like nah. Yeah, he almost never gets hurt. Yeah. He he's almost never made to look bad. Um Same whereas with- Mel Mel Gibson and Stallone have the Catholic thing in common where the suffering yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like they both they both like getting beat on in their movies i'm saying didn't tommy lee jones uh knife fight benicio del toro in a movie the hunt yeah 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 i was like that's also quite an exceptional knife fight one of the best in american cinema i remember games, nothing about that movie except for that part was the end that's of the movie all there is to it unfortunately yeah <laughs> there's a there's a couple of scraps in the woods and one awesome ass knife fight and then the rest of it could not give two shits i feel like we just we didn't know what to do with benicio del toro like he i think you're right he's he has such presence so you're just like what do we do with him is he a bad guy is he a good guy he's great in traffic actually it, he's exceptional in traffic uh he's a good cop in that movie but man compared to some of his other roles it's kind of hard that's it's kind of hard to digest at first like huh, he's gonna be a good guy the whole time he's not gonna okay yeah, he he's a he's a peculiar performer mm-hmm. in the in the in the way where it's like he's he's so charismatic and you're so drawn to him, uh, and yet he I don't think he's supposed to be a leading man, um, but he adds so much color to anything you put him in. Yeah, where it's like you, like he's he's fine even in small doses. Like I'm fine with that, but as as like the headliner as or as like a handsome dude, like I don't think he's supposed to be that guy. <laughs> no. Yeah. No. <laughs> anyway. but anyway this this torture scene uh they they break multiple bones with the with the dork with the, with the whale dick bone um and then they also use some sort of like oil uh pipe cutting tool uh and i want to say this uh this sequence got completely butchered in the editing room because uh, the amount of blood present in this scene is like actually kind of laughable mm. it's so little like it, it's like it's like uh it's like a spray bottle of blood where it's like pss, pss, <laughs> in a Seagal movie, which are generally exceptionally violent uh, for for movies of their time, um, yeah. Long story short, they do kill the old man, and uh, some of the noises he makes during the scene are utterly comical. Um, it's just like the weirdest, like cartoonish yowls you'll ever hear. It's it's baffling to be honest. But our next big sequence is a, uh, a press, press conference. conference where uh, Michael Caine makes a public statement, and uh, the Native American like peoples uh, like they have a whole community gathered here at the at the press conference um they're confronting him and then joan chen arrives in the film finally uh to throw like a, a mason jar of oil on his coat yeah and i did like that his reaction was like what is this and they're like it's oil and he's like oh thank god <laughs> what, <laughs> like, what did he think it was i don't know but his reaction's kind of funny because it's like i can't maybe he thought it was acid or, or something quitting yeah yeah he calms way the fuck down as soon as he's told it's just it's oil. not this isn't a batman movie dude it's just oil uh so yes i do believe i i verified i do believe that is a dork that is a whale's dick bone that they are using okay so <laughs> i know my dorks kyle <laughs> that's a deliberate choice for the director Yes, it is. I mean, it would make more sense if it was like, uh, if it was uh, ivory. With, I mean, it would make more sense with the message of the film. Does that? I guess that would extend to, um, uh, to whales. I think it would actually make more sense. But why a dick bone? My theory, and this is just a theory crafted on the spot, is that the prop master 
presumably an Alaska na- Alaskan native, because apparently a they lot. did film a lot of this in Alaska. And that was Michael <laughs> uh, the, Michael Caine's one complaint was it was in Alaska and it was just like cold or whatever. Yeah, and they got skeeters up there too. Oh yeah. <laughs> but um, my theory is that the prop master was like Steven Seagal. Like, what do you need from me? He's like, you got any like native club weapons around? Yeah. He's like, uh. This guy's a dick. He's like, uh, <laughs> I have this. And he's like, yeah, that's exactly what I'm looking for. Thanks, brother. Is, it a, <laughs> is that a bone? Yes. It yes. is a bone. It's, it's a club. It's, it's used for uh, decapitating people. It's a whale bone. <laughs> yeah, not not from any specific it, region of the body of the, it of the whale. It makes sense to have some kind of, you know, aquatic mammal as, like, part, like, part of the part of the you know environmental message but it's just weird that that's what they chose but and uh by the way folks at home uh in case you're you're wondering why we're going into so much detail about something so (laughs) seemingly innocuous seemingly yes we're not done with the dork (laughs) it does make a return later (laughs) return of the dork yeah yeah return (laughs) of the dork kyle you don't know how proud i am that i recognize the door (laughs) just like off like your face you're just like hang on how do you know that? lethal lethal weapon 2 is going to come up again but i actually uh, i had i might have told you this before where i was trying to figure out the difference between a, a new zealand accent south africa and australia and i had a lady come to the table and i'm like ooh, i think she's got a south african accent and i'm like can i ask you something um can i can i ask you where you're uh where you're from i'm like are you from south africa she's like oh my gosh everyone assumes that i'm australian i'm like yes but coming up next, there is a Lethal Weapon 2 moment uh, in the explosion. Okay. Well, uh, said explosion occurs at some sort of location. Like It looks like a, I don't know, nondescript shed in the wilderness. It's in the... Fuck m- if I know. Uh, it makes no <laughs> sense. They, I, I didn't know how he got there at first, but he, Michael Caine and John C. McGinley drop him off in a helicopter. And it seems to be a contaminated area... And they just drop him off with a gas mask on, like, yeah, go figure, go figure it out. Yeah, basically, Michael Caine and, and Steven Seagal have a confrontation immediately following the press conference, where, by the way, the old man's dead now, and Steven Seagal's not aware. Um, he's confronting Michael Caine, he's saying, like, hey, I looked into your shit, and it's all, it's all wrong. Yeah. Like, you're up to no good, and I'm aware of it. Uh, and we have a working relationship that I'm not sure if I want to continue. Michael Caine twists his arm and says, like, hey, man, just, like, for old time's sake, just uh, go out to this mysterious shed out in the snow and, uh, you know, put on a gas mask for me, just for old time's sake. Isn't that what happens in Spawn? <laughs> Spawn is like, you just got one more one more little thing to do. Yep, yep, two days till retirement. <laughs> but, um, yeah, <laughs> Steven Seagal goes into the shed uh, with his... Uh, flame retardant gear on and stuff and uh, he finds the old man's body in there along with a whole bunch of sticks of dynamite and uh, john c mcginley is a little bit slow on hitting the trigger for the explosives and we get a very uh kind of an awesome stunt of some poor soul getting blown the fuck fuck. yeah that's what happens in (laughs) lethal weapon 2 is i think it's the lady from uh aliens uh the diving board yes she goes on the diving board and you just see her like like fly in the air but i noticed it because it's like Arms and legs are extended out, and that's what the explosion. Because that's what it is here too. Just, I'm not sure if it's a dummy or or what. I think both were actual human beings. Okay, so maybe that's why I remember it. Because I'm like, I think it might actually be real people. 
Well, the one with Jeanette Goldstein in Lethal Weapon 2, that always stuck out to me because I, I was always a little confused. Like, is she alive? <laughs> like, yeah. Like, I saw her go flying. I didn't see her get set on fire. Or I think she did. Because when I was watching this, I'm like, oh, you would be dead. <laughs> no, all of those people are dead, especially the guy doing push-ups or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, when the, the South, the South he's African doing, guy. He's doing, he's doing the hanging from my feet sit-ups. Yeah. Yeah, the way the way that guy just casually helps himself to coming into the house and stuff, it, like right before he shoots him, it really throws you off. It's like, uh, yeah, it's it's a weird little. He seems so friendly, yeah. <laughs> and then he shoots him. I've been meaning to rewatch that for a while now too. Yeah, me too. I got the box set right back there. Wow, um, yeah, a little bit of a flex there, but um, yeah, Steven Seagal gets blowed up because, but because it's Steven Seagal and it's a film directed by Steven Seagal, he is not dead. Um, and it just so happens that some very friendly Native Americans uh, just uh, roll up on him with some dog sleds. They just happen to be in the neighborhood. Uh, they see the smoke, and they uh, they pick him up. And oh. uh, at first, they think he's a bear, apparently. Oh, my God. Um, but, yeah, they take him back to their, their village out in the snow. And uh, meanwhile, Michael Caine is blaming all of the troubles they've had with all of their oil platforms, like all the fires uh, on steven seagal and the old man yeah. who are absent and can't defend themselves meanwhile steven seagal is being nursed back to health by the native chief and his daughter joan chen um and all the all the chief's dialogue is it's kind of fun because uh, she's translating on the fly for him um I, it's kind of cute some of his dialogue is actually kind of cool mm-hmm. where, like Stu- he says like he says he thinks steven seagal is a bear and steven seagal tries to Imagine that Steven Seagal being humble, no. <laughs> like it never never happened. But he tries oh, to say, I'm, "I'm not a bear, I'm a mouse." <laughs> I'm not a bear, but I'm about to wrestle one. <laughs> yes, yes, he does wrestle a Dude, bear in this film. The wound. I, I like how he kind of wakes up. It's kind of funny. Uh, but did you pay attention to the wounds on his back? They look like uh, sun-dried tomatoes. Exactly! It looks like squished tomatoes. <laughs> That's what I was watching, too. I'm like, you you had, you had have squibs. Like, when we move forward, like, there's a really tasty, like, gunshot uh, in the house. It's like, oh, fuck. Like, this dude, like, sprays blood. But, yeah, I'm like, he's pulling chewed-up gum out of squished tomatoes is what it looks like. It's pretty nuts. Yeah, it doesn't look great. Uh, <laughs> just, just, like, leave it at that. Uh for a movie that, like Kyle said, has like Paul Verhoeven uh, approved squib work, um, no, this looks terrible. Yeah. Um, but I did like that when he tells the old man, like, no, I'm a mouse. And the old man replies, like, that's exactly what a bear would say. Like, oh, that's kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, apparently bears are fucking deceptive assholes in, in Alaskan native culture. I don't know. Yeah, I can see that. It's like, oh, man, this bear's going to eat me. Oh, I ain't. I ain't a bi- I ain't a mouse. I'm not a bear. I'm I'm a mouse. Why don't you just turn around and walk away? <laughs> I don't think I'm supposed to do that. No 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 no. I'm just a mouse. Turn around. Just picture walk a fucking away. bear with Mickey Mouse ears. <laughs> yeah, <he's> got- <laughs> don't mind me, man. I'm just a mouse. I ain't gonna do shit. <laughs> like, bur- I'm just gonna nibble on some crumbs over here. Don't mind me. <laughs> oh, you just cross paths with my children? Oh, it's fine. Just uh, walk away. I'm not gonna chase you down. I'm a mouse. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, um, Michael Caine is stressing. Meanwhile, Steven Seagal is uh, uppity about getting back to civilization because he's aware that Michael Caine's up to no good, and because he's Steven Seagal, he's trying to be proactive about it. And uh, 
He tries to steal a dog sled. Yeah, dick move, first of all. And but not how, smart. how could you ever think that would work? <laughs> well, yeah, one, they're going to notice you're, it's missing. Two, do you just know how to do that? I, I mean, assuming he's from there, he may know how to do that. You have to know how to do that. That You can't just, like, pick that up. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure, like, mush is not... Is, is not a universal thing. Generally, you know, animals that are trained in a certain language respond to that language. Oh. You probably need to know a few vocabulary words. Also, dogs are smart. They know that you're not one of them. Like, they know that you're not part of the... You're not yeah, these you don't smell like them, Stephen. Yeah, you not <laughs> smell like them, dude. Although, actually, that would be kind of cool if there was a moment in this movie where he, like, does, like, a Luke Skywalker channeling the force moment and it's like he changes his, his pheromones his <laughs> he just casually changes his scent he because gets, he's steven seagal he's about to get ripped apart by these dogs uh this isn't i like this because these dogs are just not fucking having it and they start uh he's like what's he what's the adr here there's a, there's a good adr here about the dogs fucking dogs yeah. <laughs> get off me you fucking get, dogs get off me you fucking dogs <laughs> So <laughs> this is one of those scenes that if you really hate Steven Seagal, put it on a loop. Yeah. It'll probably put you at ease. You may even get some joy out of it. But um, they stop him and they like take the dogs off of him. And uh, the old man basically says, like, oh, if you're if you're strong enough to steal to jack our fucking dogs, then you're ready for your journey. And this is where things get a little weird. <laughs> yes. Uh, we one of my favorite lines is you have died twice. Now sleep. And be reborn. So basically, they're like, you're going to go on a journey or a vision quest or whatever. And one of my favorite gifts that Trevor's made, this might be my favorite gift that you've made me, is they put him in a trance. And how this starts is the Native American gentleman puts a, like, just places a feather on his forehead. And Steven Seagal just falls asleep instantly and just slowly falls back. I don't know if it exists out there on the internet, but you need to make it. You need The people need it. Yeah, uh, folks at home, I I did gificize this moment mm. from my my personal DVD of this film. And by the way, this is not available on Blu-ray. <laughs> <laughs> I know, um, I've picked up on that pretty quick. Yeah, um, this movie is kind of hard to come by in physical form, but it's not it's not worth anything though. So don't go hunting for it. But yeah, I did make a gif of this sequence specifically because Kyle requested it, and yes, it's hilarious and. What's more, the sound effect that plays when the feather shoom. touches him. It's not just shoom. It's a particular type of shoom. It is from Doom. Oh, really? <laughs> it's one of the it's one of the the like projectile sound effects from the demons, mm. like the floating head demons, the caco demons. I'm not familiar with Doom. Well, point is, they used a sound effect from fucking Doom ah. in this movie. <laughs> so now we get into what I think is probably the most problematic part of this movie. Um, the Naked Eskimo Dance. Uh, now, if I understand correctly, uh, Eskimo are a native of the really, like, polar north, it seems like. Uh, like northern Canada, northern Alaska, like, just right up in that, that general area. Um, I don't see them, one, making, or really having teepees of this size, or even doing teepees. I think they're more igloo people. Now, I could be wrong. They could have teepees. I don't think that they're doing naked dances inside of these teepees at this scale. It seems pr- it seems like a stretch. It's a lot of skin. Yeah. It's a lot of skin. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I see where you're coming from. Also, building a large fire in an enclosed space. Yeah. 
pro- probably not safe. Yeah. Especially when a lot of the material used to uh, to build your environs is uh, flammable. <laughs> and we've got like some smoke shows in here. Like, like not this is not typically what I think of when I think of NATO. Yeah, they they I mean somebody on set probably advised Steven Seagal and said like I mean you gotta diversify just a little bit like like, can there be at least one 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 divergence from the body type that we're seeing here yes just like one and there is exactly one one (laughs) there's exactly one and i actually so yes we have we have all this dancing going on we got these cuts of like him fighting a bear and i think uh there's like an eagle, maybe. Like, there's a bunch of just just stuff being thrown in. There's here. a lot of eagles in the dark dimension. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> meaning stock footage, probably. Um, and we see him fighting a bear, uh, which is I I think he's I think this is actually a bear. I think this is actually happening. Actually, this is a bear that has been on the show before. Is this Bart now. the bear? This is Bart oh, the bear. Oh, this is Bart the bear. <laughs> oh, that warms my heart. Oh, that's so sweet. He's a good. He's a good actor. He. Really, he's a good boy. He's a good boy. <laughs> he's such a good boy. Oh. Yes, folks at home, if you're not aware, Bart the bear is one of the most famous bears in Hollywood history, mm-hmm. and uh, he was previously on Catching Up on Cinema when we reviewed The Edge. Excellent movie. If you guys haven't seen. Excellent. It. Yeah, one of the best bear attack movies in cinema history. I think it is the best. It might be the best bear attack movie. It very well may be. And it's... <laughs> I don't think there are that many of them, but it's, it's that, probably the best It's one. that, The Revenant, and in that f- movie with JTT, where he and his brothers... There's a bear attack in that. Uh, Born to be Wild, I think is what it is, or something. I know that was the song used to promote it. I don't know if that was the title. Wild Country, maybe? I don't know. It's I, one of those. There were too many of those fucking JTT movies of that of that era. Yeah, we were just we were gagging on those. There were too many of them being <laughs> stuffed down our fucking throats. Very very poor choice of words. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, like I said, um, and this continues to be a theme during this episode. Bear in mind everything that we're relaying to you. This was directed by Steven Seagal, and yes, all of the uh, naked. Uh, native women that was a directorial decision the the next portion is pulled straight out of like a charlie sheen spoof movie this next scene so he goes into this tp and he just goes through and there's just an old lady standing there with like i don't know like a, a, a fur or something i don't really know what she's got she's just standing she's got there. a rattle too there's a rattle okay she's just old old yeah, old lady yeah. and then over on the left hand side is a I looked her up this... She's married to, like, a model soap opera actor. Like, she's just an American lady who just married some really handsome... She is hot. And she is dancing like crazy. And he is... I don't... Dancing, Kyle? This is this is writhing. <laughs> I'm sorry. She's, she's writhing. The dancing was before. We are writhing here. So she is putting on her show, and he's just like... Stuck like who do I go to? Like do I go do I go over to the old lady or the hot lady? Like, it's, and it's like four back and forth. It's like I don't know which I don't know what to do. He goes with the old lady. But he his, goes with the old lady. His face acting here, like the the concern. No, what you're doing right now for me, Kyle, is is far more than he does in this entire film. Yeah. The man, the man, like I said, he doesn't have conflict. No. He's Steven Seagal. There are no bad choices because any choice he makes is obviously the right one. Yeah. <laughs> so, he's in the script. I'm sure it read like conf- looks of conflict or something like like inner conflict. 
but no it's just him like stone-faced looking like he has to take a shit looking back and forth between ultra hot like writhing on the floor naked native woman and old lady and then he like puts his palms together and makes says a prayer to himself and goes to the old lady and she spouts some horse shit about feeling the land and uh people are abusing the land or something uh we get some trippy imagery of uh a bear and a puddle in the floor and he puts his <laughs> hand in the floor and then he's got oil on his hand symbolism uh but yeah uh, it it needs to be said during all of this chaos we also get him fighting bart the bear yeah and they like full-on sprint at each other in the woods <laughs> they clash i'm like that's a legit looking clash it looked pretty good yeah, no, they, they run into each other like an offensive and a defensive line, uh, and he, like, stabs Bart the bear, but the the funniest bit is when, is when his stunt double gets, like, pitched into the river. Yeah. <laughs> he just, ah! And then it, it's funny, because they show him in the river, and he's, like, being dunked or baptized or whatever the fuck, but he looks like he, he looks like he's just a contemporary dude wearing a, a yellow hoodie, because it, <laughs> it it's just a hoodie. It's just a regular-ass hoodie. It's like a like a banana skin yellow hoodie, and he's just being dunked. <laughs> I'm like, what is that? Like, it does not. It it feels so out of place. Uh, yeah, and it's it's especially bad because it's shot from behind. Yeah, and so it's it's the old man standing on the rocks, like at the river's edge, and Stigall is facing his back to the camera, probably a stunt double, and then he like. Bur- he like breaches the surface, and he looks like a walrus wearing a yellow slicker trying to flop onto the shore or something. It's not graceful. It doesn't look good. Um, but apparently, when they touched him with that feather, he tripped balls, fell into a river. They didn't help him out. <laughs> and then he woke up just in time to not drown. Jesus. Now he knows what to do, apparently. I'll tell you what- Actually, th- you could spin this plot, Kyle, where they, like, brainwash him to, to do their dirty work or something. It'd be better. It'd be more fun. It'd be less. They make him their their assassin or something, and he's like, "I'm doing it for the cause. It's for the land." Yeah. It's like, dude, how many drugs did you take? <laughs> My uh, friend who uh, who likes acid told me to remember if you take acid that uh, water is wet, fire is hot, and cars are real. Those are the his, his three rules for acid. Sound advice. Now you can counter that with <laughs> if you trip acid. Pick the old woman. <laughs> the old woman. The hot one's a trap. I don't know what the trap is, but it's a trap. It's a table saw. <laughs> don't put your hands on that. But it's so hot, and it's writhing. It's writhing. Uh, yeah, do we get to the oil guys showing up to shoot? Uh, yeah. Who? Yeah, they, they show up via helicopter, and um, it's uh, John C. McGinley and Sven. Uh, they show up with some other goons with guns, and uh, they arrive at the native village, and they're looking for Forrest Taft. Yeah. And they start questioning the locals, like, hey, have you seen this guy? And they have a very convenient photo of Steven Seagal posed and everything. Uh, and they all lie, say, no, ain't seen him. Uh, and then Sven he gets, gets to, some dialogue. He gets to talk. <laughs> yeah, Sven gets to talk in his in his native accent. He is not dubbed by another man like he was in last week's episode, Hard Target. Um, and he is the one who fi- he finds uh, Forrest Taft's like burnt uh, flame retardant gear in one of the huts. Uh, so he comes out. John C. McGinley's pissed. Uh, the old chief uh, he doesn't really step to him, but he he just like 
gets aggressive, and John C. McGinley caps him in the chest. Yeah, he just shoots him immediately. Yeah, and I did like that he gets the the sh- <laughs> chicken shit heel move of being pulled away like towards the helicopter. And say, you saw it. He came right at me. Yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah, the the ancient old man that can't walk under his own power. He he was really coming at you with a full head of steam. It's kind of like his character from uh, Platoon, where he's just like kind of a kind of a shit talker, but when it comes down to it, he's kind of a bitch. Yeah. Yeah, it was kind of funny seeing him in in uh, the Rock. Uh, because I, we've talked about this before. We've had this conversation before on Catching Up on Cinema about John C. McGinley. But at, at some point, I thought maybe he had military experience mm-hmm. or something because he does a lot of these kind of roles. But no, I just think he's in shape and he was in Platoon, so he gets typecast in those roles maybe. He has drill instructor intensity about him. And yeah, he does seem like he would have been, I think he would have probably been pretty good. Well, I mean, him forming that relationship with Oliver Stone and, like, showing up in Wall Street, him being in Platoon when he was in Platoon probably, like, crystallized his reputation as being, like, oh, he he can do that. Oh, yeah. And that role, though, in particular, he's perfect for it. Like, he he plays a weaselly little shit Mm -hmm. really well. Only problem is he's kind of a big dude, so you have to you have to cast him in a particular way and opposite Steven Seagal it works really well but I did think it was funny in in The Rock he's he's there but he doesn't have any dialogue for the most part he's not funny he's not Weasley he's just another goon there it's it was weird he has what I would say is reserved for Henry uh Henry Rollins role in Seven where it's just like he's just the SWAT guy like it's Henry Rollins in uh Bad Boys 2 it's like the same thing I'm so glad you mentioned that apparently this role was meant for oh Henry no Rollins. shit you're kidding me <laughs> i'm not kidding you wow yeah that would have been perfect henry rollins and you can kind of tell because henry rollins did like a very similar thing um although downplayed in a heat like around the same time that's what i'm thinking of. i'm like there's one where he's like pasty white i'm trying to think of what it was i think it was heat yeah um yeah uh, this was meant for henry rollins and uh jeremy irons was supposed to be michael kane's role Mm. I, I I like what we got. Yeah, I'll be honest. Jeremy Irons is too good for this. Michael Caine can do some shit and still come out okay. Jeremy Irons, it would be like, oh, you're you're too good for that. I don't think he would have given it 110, honestly. No, no, he he. I don't think in 1994. I think this was thoroughly beneath him. But I, yeah. But I mean, <laughs> everybody has stinkers on their filmography. It's just at that point in time, I think it would. I think it had less of a bearing on Michael Caine's career okay. trajectory. Um, but yeah, long story short, old man's dead here. He, now we have revenge motivation. Yes. Now we get into the third and longest act. I feel like of the film. Well, we get to civilization quicker because they have a uh, snowmobile, which I've always wanted. Uh, they have a snowmobile just in case of emergencies, which is really smart. Uh, yeah, they're, they're smart to have it. The beach. Remember the beach? They had. They have a motorboat. They just use it to go into shore. Nice. Yeah. So yeah, we're we're going in, and this is where we get the. I think probably the worst I've ever heard, like, it's probably the worst I've ever heard in a movie where we have multiple groups talking about how much of a badass uh, Steven Seagal's character is, Forrest Taft. <laughs> the the one that stuck out to me was, he's so top secret, like, top secret doesn't even know about this guy. Like, this is how tough he, this is how awesome he is. He's unheard of. Yeah, what Kyle's talking about here is essentially the last half hour of the movie. Um, it, 
it's it's kind of strange because this is another one of that long list of prerequisites uh, for any for crafting a Steven Seagal movie is somebody other than Steven Seagal has to talk up his badassery, like his badassness. And uh, in this one, I think this is probably the best exhibition of that because I think they specifically hired Arlie Aramy just to do that, probably Jesus. off the cuff. Um, because that's literally all he does in this movie, and he's so fucking good at just coming up with random shit. He and John C. McKinley, that 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 one scene that he's in in Seven, it's with Arlie Ermey. Funny. Oh, yeah. Connections. Yeah. Revolutions. Revolutions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but just before we get all to like to all that business, though, we gotta suit up. Uh, we have to load up. Uh, so we go to the old man's house, where, as we had mentioned earlier. Uh, Steven Seagal left a fucking knapsack full of guns. <laughs> it's ag. Oh, yeah. I think and, it's ag gun and a floppy disk. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Oh no, he takes some guns from the old man. Though. Yeah. Like the shot, the shotguns that both uh, John C. McGinley and Sven were both kind of enamored with. Yeah. This because is... you're not wrong. The blocking of that dialogue scene, they're both fucking with that cabinet the whole time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this is where I get confused between this and Commando. Was the like this this sequence here? I get confused with this sequence and uh, the exact same sequence in Hard to Kill. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, you're right. I think I watched all these movies around the same, like, at least those two movies around the same time. Someone else's house. Yeah. Sack of guns. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> and a lady's involved as well. Like a sack exact of... Exact same scene. <laughs> like a sack of burritos, just a sack of guns. Yeah. <laughs> No, I'm not even kidding. The, the the staging of the scene is identical to Hard to, hard to Kill. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, long story short, Sven and a bunch of the goon squad show up to try to intercept Forrest Taft because somehow they became aware of the fact that he's on the way back to civilization. Um, and he kills some of these goons in, in you know relatively ordinary, by Steven Seagal standards, fashion. Uh, however, uh, the last goon standing is Sven. Uh, John C. McGinley is not present because we're not close enough to the end of the film, and he's, nah. you know, been proven to be that kind of a heel that he, you got to save him for last. Yeah, he needs a tasty um, but, death. But yeah, do you re- do you recall what happens to Sven here? Uh, I do, I think that I gave the attention at the beginning part of the violence, and then I'm like, okay, I'm over it now. Let's get to the next scene. So I think I was probably IMDBing it at this point. <laughs> Okay, well, this um, this was that last juicy detail about Sven and Seagal's on-set relationship. Ah. Uh, so I, I did mention that Sven's scenes were cut. Scenes plural, apparently. Uh, apparently, he was supposed to have additional scenes uh, that were filmed but didn't end up in the film. Um, and he, most importantly, he was supposed to have a death, like a spotlight death sequence. Um, instead, he gets beaten with a dork, so the dork makes its return. The return of the dork. Uh, Seagal clubs him with the dork multiple times. Uh, and then Sven falls over, and I guess uh, they called, they, they like waited to call cut, so they got footage of him laying there. And then Seagal just said, Oh, he's he's dead. Like, what an <laughs> ass. I mean, what? I so mean, he, he doesn't get a, like, a spot. He's Sven. Like, you got a spotlight his fate you know in the movie like in in conan the barbarian that is the proper use of your sven i was about to say i'm like maybe he pulled it because he knows there's no way that he is going to top possibly one of the greatest movie deaths in that movie that is one of my most favorite top five i'd say i mean sven probably has that that framed on his banister or something (laughs) because it's 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 a silent death you don't even hear it. it it's so great i can't wait to do that movie again 
Yeah, me too. Uh, folks at home, Kyle actually was rallying to do that movie I for was. Action April. I vetoed it. I feel bad about it to this day, so fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> Punish him. Punish him on Twitter. <laughs> Punish him on Twitter. Um, but here we do have an odd instance of a little bit of awkward editing because the uh, the talking up of Steven Seagal's badassery that Kyle had mentioned happens after Sven is killed. Okay. It's like, wouldn't it be a good idea before the killing starts happening to be made aware of or this? Or even during. I mean, imagine cut sequences. Cross-cutting. Would, yeah. Cross-cutting would be, would be effective. I mean, it's all still blowing smoke up ass, but it <laughs> it would still be... It would. St- I mean, that would be a better way to do it, where you just have shots of him just fucking dudes up, and like he was greatest ever of the top secret CIA, whatever the fucks. Yeah. I actually, that's how I probably would have done it. Mm-hmm. Like I can, I can see that edit in my head. Um, but no, it comes immediately after Sven is dispatched, and it's just a few offhand lines of dialogue from Michael Caine talk- talking about like how badass Steven Seagal is, and and he has. This happens so many times in the movie moving forward that I couldn't even write all of it down. But uh, patron patron saint of the impossible is one of the things he's referred to as here. It, um, I, I think it's so much worse knowing that he directed it when you hear this shit. It, it just makes it so much worse. That's why I keep reinforcing. He made this film. Everything you're seeing in it is more than likely there because he chose for it to be there. And things like a woman's voice ADRing he's hot that was a choice <laughs> it's like it's like the uncle rico scenes from napoleon dynamite except it's just those scenes <laughs> it's just that but those you know, i actually haven't seen that movie you're fine and you can totally skip it but his uncle rico is just a fucking uh he was like a high school quarterback who never left town he's just like i bet you could throw this football over the mountain he's just talking to him about how great he was it's it's annoying but that's what i would assume <laughs> Reminds me of uh, the episode of King of the Hill when uh, they have a former Dallas Cowboy move in next door. And mm. He's famous for blocking that kick. Gotcha. In that one Super Bowl game. That's all, all his he ta- life amounts and to. And that's all he talks about. Yeah. <laughs> that's all he's done. Gotcha. And that's all he needs to do in fucking Texas <laughs> to be okay forever. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. That math adds up. <laughs> Um, but here's where we are introduced to additional goons because we need replacement goons now that some of them are dead, yeah. especially one of the most important ones. That would be Sven. Uh, and this comes in the form of Arlie, Aramie, and a bunch of uh, militia guys from one of the southern states. Uh, and they arrive via helicopter. And in tow, they have one, uh, jo- what is it, Billy Bob Thornton. Yeah. Fat Billy Bob in Thornton. His, yeah. Fat Billy Bob Thornton, I think, in his first on screen appearance. Was it not? Um, is this before Tombstone? Oh, it may have been the same year, if not one. That may have been one year before. Uh, he had more to do in that film, that's for sure. Yeah, he, he definitely had more to do. But he was funny in both of them, surprisingly. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think he's just quick because it seemed like a lot of his stuff in this movie was ad libbed. He's funny in Armageddon. I just think his, he is a. Of just a funny way about him he's he's a quirky actor um i i generally like him oh, i like, do i do i i don't know about his personal life and stuff but as a performer i generally like him on uh, i'd like to rewatch uh pushing tin someday he's got a few movies on here nothing that like he's in the outsiders oh really yeah jesus he's in that uh going overboard an adam sandler movie from 1989 
but yeah okay so this wasn't his first movie then no um, uh yeah he's got f- he's got a few few, few movies but here. i will say this much though it is funny seeing him fat yeah because it's hard to imagine him that way anymore he's looking kind of gaunt these days um but yeah he is one of the chief goons among arlie Aramis squad oh. here uh, he's great in dead i'm gonna say he's awesome in dead man i don't particularly care for that movie but he's he's really good in dead man the johnny okay, depp yeah. the johnny depp jim jarmusch movie that's right yeah thanks for Sorry. thanks for filling that in i was like reaching for the director's name but yeah it's jarmusch yep. um in the meantime though uh while the goons are being collected uh seagal is a, uh, I guess like pulling together his own squad in the form of like a native american friend he has uh, who also knows hacking and computers and shit. This dude came and, out of fucking nowhere. I, nowhere. I, I have no idea where he came from. Yeah, he's not explained. He only shows up for this one scene. Um, and apparently, I think this is supposed to be Forrest Taft's residence. Uh, but there is a closet full of guns. And this is a recurring element in all, almost all the movies we talked about this month. A closet um, full of guns, yeah. Yeah. Um, this one is filled to the brim with guns, and we get to see Steven Seagal uh, stroke himself a little bit in the form of um, being intimately familiar with all the complex names and and uh, calibers of all the weapons in the room. See, I thought he was just being an asshole. He's like, here, you take that one. I'm like, I, for some reason I knew he was going to pick out the gun for him. He's like, you're going to take that gun. I'm like, why don't you just let him pick out the gun? You've got a lot. No, he does it so casually. He just like says this and this and this and uh, this and... Uh, I think we're good. Yeah. <laughs> um, but in between this, he also throws a little bit of a tirade about the environment and how the world sucks and we need to fight back. Um, this is this is a taste of things to come when we get to the final yeah. uh, scene in the entire movie. But um, that is one thing that both Kyle and I have to be honest about. Um, his speech at the end of this movie is, it, is yeah, it's impassioned. Yeah. Like it actually, he actually tried. Um, you can tell that maybe he didn't try his hardest in some aspects of this film, but not there. And in some ways, not in the scene that happens in the kitchen where he's screaming about the environment. But he does have a weird, weird line of dialogue here where he's talking to Joan Chen and he uses the phrase, I love the spirit world and I loved your father. <laughs> it's like you knew her father for a day and a you love the spirit world. <laughs> yeah, a, a, day. a day. But you love the spirit world. It's like, it's like okay. okay okay so you like falling into rivers while you're tripping balls okay is this where you like you like fighting bears and losing do you i don't want to fight a bear um my next note is bombs and horses i guess that's the best way to sum up this next part that's about that's about it um bombs it's, and horses. it's basically another prerequisite in the crafting of a steven seagal film uh MacGyverisms. Uh, he he improvises a lot of weapons. Um, he'll do so again later in the film, but here we get to see him not not so much improvise a weapon, but he spends quite a bit of time. We get a lot of intimate detail in him putting together a, a plastique explosive, mm-hmm. and uh, he blows up a shed, which also conveniently blows up a helicopter nearby. I think in any other movie with any other star, that would be an accident. And, you know, Casey Jones would say, oops. oops. <laughs> but, yeah. but in this case, I'm pretty sure he somehow heard the helicopter from miles away and timed the explosive just so to take it out. Um, he also sets up some claymores. And uh, we do get a couple of awesome, like, Rambo-esque kills here. Or, like, like, punji stick kind of stuff in the woods. Mm. And 
horses tripping and claymores blowing people to shreds and stuff. But yeah, a lot of horse action. Um, actually, a lot of matte paintings. Not a lot, but a few, rather. I was almost um, fully checked out at this point. Uh, that's why I wrote down bombs and horses. I'm like, I'm done until we get to the till we get to the, the last part. Yeah, I'm not going to look up until I hear a gun. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I'm waiting for things to quiet back down because I'm like, okay, now we're on to the next scene because it's just horses and bombs. Yeah, um, as Kyle had told me right before we started recording, this movie is very... it. How would you phrase it? It doesn't want you to watch it's it. It's begging something? you not to watch it. Yeah. It, yes. Thank you. It does not want you to look at it, and it would. <laughs> yeah. This would be an internet challenge to get through. To get through. If I didn't have a reason to get through this movie, I would have shut this off at the first five minutes easily. Yeah. It. 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 Uh. Drags some serious ass for a seriously long amount of time. I, thankfully, it does pick up a little bit in its closing scenes. Um. But the the slow steady march to to that is a long one well i feel like the the eskimo portion of the film it's like i'm done i'm not if you're like stuck watching it like i'm not looking up anymore at that point unless you have a reason to and if you're doing a podcast on it (laughs) well because it comes across as just like totally wrong-headed and nonsensical yeah like like really did does, it has no real reason to be here. It doesn't provide any additional incentive no. or agency to the characters. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just stuff, and it's weird stuff that doesn't really doesn't really amount to anything. It's like, in terms of motivating factor, it doesn't provide any. No. Like like again, if if you had a different actor, if you had a different script, this would be the situation where maybe he needs that to push him towards doing good or something. Maybe he's bad up to that point and then there's a turning point. But because he's Steven fucking Seagal and he doesn't he's not humble enough to allow himself to look like the bad guy for the first act of the movie, it it it's busted. It just doesn't really work. Or maybe he sees like Eskimo like playing in oil like they're they're like the the uh, the bird stuck in oil and he's like, "Oh man, we should probably do something about this." But no. He's not- I mean, let's call it for what it is kyle basically he'd need an excuse to put some tits in the movie <laughs> i honestly think that is the only reason <laughs> i i mean i don't know if footage exists of it i sure as fuck hope not but uh, thankfully he's not on screen with any of these naked people yeah i was actually surprised uh, he's he uh joan chin is actually not even a like a love interest like it they don't make out they don't end up no he he doesn't touch anyone in this movie other than to harm them yeah <laughs> <laughs> Which is kind of shocking. Like, like again, if if we're talking like egocentric directors slash stars, like it wouldn't, it would not be a surprise at all to see you know a dude want to do a love scene, like say Tommy Wiseau in the room. Where it's like, hey, this is this movie exists as an excuse for me to uh, fuck a woman's navel. <laughs> yeah, Jesus. Um, but yeah, Steven Seagal is not on screen with any of these naked people. Um, so. I guess that's something, <laughs> but um, yeah. Long story short, we're gonna gloss over some details here, but we uh, we head to the oil platform. Yeah. So uh, some of the goons are killed in the woods, um, but Joan Chen and Steven Seagal escape via horseback. They they leap over a like a, a chasm, yeah. which is a map painting, um, <laughs> because that would be dangerous. And Steven Seagal is a heavy guy, and, and weighing down that horse probably wouldn't be able to pull off that jump. I don't know, man. Um, you weigh a lot, so so we, we should do that. It's okay. I got this. I fought a bear yesterday. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh man, that would actually be pretty. That would be his demise. Is something stupid? Like <laughs> his ego gets in the way of like, uh, Steve. I don't think you can make that. Like, no, I can make it. Like, uh, all right. Nope. Oh yeah, I mean, what you're describing, Will Sasso did perfectly on those Mad oh, TV God, sketches. Oh God, I forgot about that. Yeah, you know, when he is trying to jump across that gap, uh, like without wire assistance, that that skit is is Steven Seagal. Like I, that's. One of the earliest, one of the best mockeries of Steven Seagal. Good for them. I'm glad that they did that. And I think about that Sopranos, that Sopranos bit <laughs> from that show. I, I, monthly. I think about it monthly. Yeah. Where's Chicago Gould? <laughs> I don't give a <laughs> f- <laughs> It's the best. It's the best. <laughs> See you next week. Yeah. <laughs> That's my favorite. Well, see you next week. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, we go to the oil pl- platform, uh, Aegis One, the uh, the new oil platform that needs to be put online tonight. Otherwise, the land reverts back to the natives. Uh, and Steven Seagal and Joan Chen have plans to blow it to smithereens. Uh, so first phase of the operation is infiltration, and we get an extended <laughs> sequence where Steven Seagal has to fashion a makeshift silencer out of a two-liter pop bottle, uh, and then he shoots a man in the face with it. <laughs> I've seen that. I saw that in The Departed. Uh, that and I've seen a pillow in Before the Devil Knows You're Dead. Does the does the two liter work? Not. I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> uh, I would imagine it does. Although obviously you can only use it once, and obviously it's not nearly as quiet as GoldenEye on Nintendo 64. Ah, yeah. Have you imagine? <laughs> it's still quite loud, but it probably does muffle the the report somewhat. But um, I mean that summarizes a lot of the the weird little quirky. Uh, aspects to the choreography of some of Steven Seagal's action sequences is he's the master of I seen this thing in a thing one time uh-huh. <laughs> I'm gonna try it out on screen <laughs> he's one of those guys that probably has a lot of um, not actual retired military friends but just like military fanatics like people who are really into that stuff and have police radios in their in their garages Dude, but they've never actually done service dudes who are on the verge of stolen valor yeah Yes, exactly. There's another lane I like to call assumed valor, where they're not in, uh, they're not stolen valors when they're actually like in the in the digis and actually like you know walking around like that. Assumed valor is where you carry yourself like somebody who used to be in the military. There's a there's a there's a very particular look and think special think special forces like think about mercenary kind of look. People take on that look. It's an assumed yeah. valor, folks. Let me just let you know, you can learn a lot from a man, a man in particular, <laughs> from their shoes, their haircut, <laughs> and their posture. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. And uh, also also their, their mams and sirs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a big one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've, I've, I've been able to make many a deduction just based on those factors, <laughs> and I'm usually right. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, we get that clever bit where he caps a dude with a two-liter bottle. Uh, we also get some shenanigans with the power box or something. I couldn't even really fucking figure out what he was doing here. He puts a, he fuck, puts a fucking wrench in a power box. <laughs> it's fucking nonsense at the end of this movie. Like, what's happening? I, I was like, he's, ju- he's just fucking with things. He's just fiddling with things now. <laughs> yeah. No, I know how to do that. No, he's he's literally just fucking with things. Yeah, and also he has a little melee with uh, 
a major stunt player that I am I feel so ashamed of myself. I can't recall his name. Oh, you I, should I, kill I, yourself. <laughs> you don't know the name of him. I, oh. I'm I'm usually really good about this, but he was in the beginning of Hot Shots Part Two. He was oh. the he was the boat captain in the beginning of Lethal Weapon Four. So you recognize him? Yes. So he, I I believe he's Korean. Uh, he's been in almost every '90s action movie you can imagine that requires any sort of martial arts ability. Um, long I, story short, he he has a mean face. He's an Asian gentleman. He gets the shit kicked out of him by Steven Seagal, probably half for real, but <laughs> knowing his track record, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but part of the reason I'm trying to single him out here is that uh, I'm almost positive Steven Seagal kills him twice in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> nah, they won't <laughs> notice. <laughs> no, yeah, he's Asian guy in Hollywood. Go figure. Yeah. But, um, there is a scene later on, just a couple minutes later, in fact, where a a masked man with camouflage in addition to a mask comes out of nowhere at him with two knives. And I'm like, I think I recognize those eyes. <laughs> and I think that guy was killed 10 minutes ago. I, and I, I have it on record here on IMDb that the sequence I'm talking about was, adi- was an additional scene, maybe... Meaning it was filmed after the fact, so I wouldn't be surprised if they just called him back and put a mask on. Him. Probably. Ah, uh, shit. Movies are fun. <laughs> <laughs> but um, anyway, uh, Seagal and Joan Chen they rig up some bombs. Some fires start going off on the oil platform. Uh, Michael Caine and John C. McGinley and uh, the lady who we really haven't done a good job of spotlighting, but uh, Sherry Shattuck is the actress. Uh, only reason I'm bringing her up now is because uh, when we get to her ultimate fate, it's kind of special. Um, they're all freaking up. They're all freaking out in the control center. But um, as we're gearing up for the final battle with Seagal, who's on his way, um, Arlie Aramie gets pulled aside by one of his goons, and we have like a three-minute scene of just Arlie Aramie. Sp- spitting hot fire about how <laughs> awesome Steven Seagal is. And if you're if you haven't seen the sequence, folks at home, mm. even if you have no interest in this scene, uh I mean this movie rather, uh look this up. Cause th- I'm almost sure I'm almost certain this was all improvised and I'm almost certain this is exactly why they hired him. Mm. It's just so he could string together some badass verbiage. <laughs> yeah. Um and it's funny because what Kyle was talking about earlier about um, Michael Caine talking him up and cross-cutting back and forth between him being badass and talking about him being badass. That's kind of what this is. It's just 10 minutes after we just saw that. Mm-hmm. So we have to have like three or four different instances of people doing the exact same thing, just talking about how awesome Steven Seagal How awesome is he? Oh, he's so fucking awesome. He's really so fucking... Oh, dude, he's like the most badass person that's ever lived in the history of the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he could fuck a volcano. <laughs> Jesus. Um, yeah, there are some choice words here. Uh, it's actually pretty fucking funny, but um, we get a sequence where Steven Seagal uses an automatic shotgun, um, which um, this is actually another staple of uh, his filmography. Um, he There's a lot of gun porn in his movies. Mm. Uh, you see a lot of guns that uh aren't futuristic but hollywood's usually a few years behind like actual military tech so you get like more modern equipment i guess in his movies like so for instance this gun as far as i know was like spotlighted in uh, the expendables in the in the late 2000s um but i i can i don't i don't even think i could count on one hand like two hands rather like 
how many movies this gun has been featured in. Um, it's an automatic fucking shotgun. <laughs> and, and he's casually slaughtering people on the soil platform. Um, but anyway, uh, the explosions and stuff are causing all the staff to evacuate while the goons are getting blasted to to juicy, chunky salsa. <laughs> uh, so all the executives are leaving, and they're trying to leave via helicopter. Uh, fortunately, Seagal shows up just in time to like blow up the tail rotor of the thing. And uh, we get two major villain characters wiped off the map in rapid succession here and kyle do you recall these because these are kind of special honestly no this was i was like really in my phone uh at this point um i pretty close to once the screwdriver came in i'm like okay i'm just gonna kind of (laughs) yeah Uh it's like oh he's doing home improvement stuff on the oil platform i'm out (laughs) i have blow the generator that's that's the last note i have as far as this sequence goes there's a plan to blow up the generator okay well i will do my best to spotlight these so we have john c mcginley and the aforementioned uh sherry shattuck is the actress's Mm -hmm. name so these two have been shown to be uh weasley and conniving and just all around bad people and she wears a suit and that's not okay <laughs> because Steven Seagal movie. Um, so they're both in this helicopter when he blows the tail rotor and they both pile out and she takes off running. Steven Seagal walks up to them and he grabs hold of John C. McGinley and McGinley starts begging for his life and saying like, Hey, I got files and shit. I got plenty of stuff that you can use to condemn Michael Caine. And, you know, I don't think Steven Seagal cares much about the court system. Yeah, uh, he's a, um, Trevor, he is above the law. He is above the law. Actually, that's another staple of his early filmography. And actually, that's something they really need to bring back is um, on the poster of your movie. So and so is is above the law. law. Yeah. Yeah. Steven Seagal is hard to kill steven seagal is marked for death <laughs> but uh tommy lee jones is no country for old men wait does that work no see it doesn't work <laughs> see but i'm telling you like that actually is kind of beautiful i've always loved that mm-hmm. like steven seagal is, is above the law even under siege works steven seagal <laughs> it, it, the human being is under siege he is under siege that's funny <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up. I would have glossed. I would have skipped that, but um, yeah. So he has McGinley by the collar, and mind you, the helicopter is grounded. Uh, the tail rotor is still spinning. However, Steven Seagal turns him around and shoves him face first into the tail rotor, and the sound effect that plays is like, "Oh, oh!" <laughs> I didn't catch. And we 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 get some blood splatter, much like uh, Indiana Jones uh, and. I mean, Raiders of the Lost Ark, rather. When the German boxer guy gets cut up by the prop, Mm -hmm. um, the blood, it's kind of like that. Yeah, I remember that. But the sound effect, when his fucking, you you see just enough, like, you get just enough visual information that you can kind of see his nose, like, not any other part of his face, like, the center of his face hitting the blade. And it's just, the sound is beautiful. Like, good job, sound engineer. You did it. So but, was it like a squish and a crunch? Because I feel like that would have been a good, like... It's a comp- There's some bone in there. Ooh. We'll just leave it at that. It's in the bone! <laughs> <laughs> um, but back to back with that. So we have we have these two guys who have been... Or guy and gal that have been shown to be like the left and the right hand of Michael Caine. A.K.A. the big bad. Yeah. Uh, so right hand's down. Left hand, however, the lady, she ran off. And she piles into a truck. 
and she starts that engine she starts she hits the gas and she drives by and we get like a, a first person perspective shot from the from the cab of the truck looking at steven seagal <laughs> and from her perspective we see john c mcginley like in a crumple on the ground we don't see any like grim details or anything but he is dead yeah um and then she just says this awkward line of dialogue where she goes fuck him <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah and before that she also said he's back which is maybe one of the cringiest action movie lines in recent memory yeah good, good. Um, i know it was a thing in poltergeist and They're i know it was back. a recurring thing i yeah yeah but oof that is i've never i've never and seen it, that. and it and it was ADR, so they made that poor lady come back to the studio to do that again. So the, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, she's in this truck, and Steven Seagal doesn't do anything. He just looks in her direction, and she turns her head to say, fuck him. And then she looks back through the windshield, and she's driving straight towards, like, a giant gasoline tank. Uh, of course. And she puts her hands up, because, you know... I'm too dumb to turn the wheel or hit the brake. <laughs> and she collides with it, and she gets... So the, the top half of the cab gets, like, smashed. And the truck is stuck, and the door is stuck shut, and she has gas pouring all over her. There's flames everywhere. And we get just a couple of shots of her face after the crash. And her nose is smashed in. She's covered in gore. Like, she looks thoroughly fucked up. <laughs> and when we get to see her trying to get the door open... And not being able to, and then she explodes. It's like, what the fuck? <laughs> it, Kyle, what it brought to mind is a. Uh, you remember when Jurassic World came out, and everybody yeah. was like, "What did that British woman do to piss off that director?" Yeah, she did nothing. She was just an inattentive babysitter. Uh, yeah, yeah, she was just a millennial. Yeah. <laughs> that's what that's it was. It. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, these no, millennials. She didn't do anything wrong. She wasn't even a character. They're she always just... complaining and they're always in their phones. Gosh. <laughs> yeah, no, he, I think but he it, I think it, he I think it's safe to say I think he hates women. Uh because <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I, track record seems to be pointing in that direction. Yeah, but I just wanted to highlight that because it is atypically cruel. Mm. Um like I get it. She was kind of callous and rude. <laughs> did she have to have the, like the most cruel death in the film did she even need know. to die like she was barely in like she wasn't like she was kind of a character i mean she did some sleazy shit but you know mike star was allowed to survive and potentially yeah. change uh who i think is probably a more despicable character yeah, yeah, you know, he was he was a, you know, blatant racist. He was totally disrespectful and, you know, he was an adult <laughs> bully. You're a piece of shit if you're an adult bully. Good call, actually. Like if if you still need to do that to get your jollies and feel good about yourself, there is a serious problem with your reward system. <laughs> if you are 21 and a like if you were over the age of 21 and a bully, we don't need you. You could just just go away. <laughs> Just just march straight towards the ocean just, and keep going. Just just keep going. Just leave. <laughs> just leave. However you see fit. <laughs> just feel free to make your exit whenever you Whenever you'd like. Um, but in the meantime, uh, we get some improv lines from Billy Bob Thornton talking about... It's actually genuinely kind of funny. He's, he's just talking to one of the other henchmen, and he's talking about, like, should I have my... Should I have my... Uh, my the, the stock of my gun, should I have it out or should I have it folded? 
Like, <laughs> I, I, I want to feel good about myself when I kill this guy. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's pretty fucking funny. <laughs> but um, he gets blown away, like, immediately, though, uh, via a claymore that uh, basically they send the elevator up without any passengers, and they shoot the door, and Billy Bob gets blown to high heaven <laughs> via a claymore through an elevator door. Actually, it's Billy Bob's... Uh, stunt dummy not a stunt person but um dummies deserve love too but uh <laughs> shortly very, poor cho- <laughs> very poor choice of words <laughs> dummies need the most love uh. <laughs> um arlie Aramie uh makes his exit immediately after and this was kind of an interesting like uh I don't know it, it was like a subversion so we have a and you know it's steven seagal so nobody's a match for him but uh he's hiding in like an oil vat and it's like he's very covert about it and he actually gets the drop on seagal and joan chen and uh, he comes up behind them with a shotgun and it feels like oh i mean it's arlie aramie you're gonna you're gonna make something of it because he's he's a cool guy like generally he makes a big show of any film he's in he has presence Um, yeah yeah he has a lot of presence um but he gets dispatched in a blink of an eye uh, it's kind of spectacular, but it's it's super anticlimactic. Like what's uh oh gosh, I always think the Predator. Uh, I've seen it three times now. Uh, what's the guy's name? The uh, we call him the Big Man. The Ster- <sighs> Ster- Sterling, not Sterling Shepard. Sterling K. Brown. Sterling, Sterling Shepard's a football player. Sterling K. Brown. Yeah, like how he dies, like like that. Like it's just immediate. Like <clears throat> didn't even see him die. Is it? I didn't. Yeah. I didn't catch Arlie Ermey die. Yeah, we've brought that up on we've brought that up on a, a more than one episode, folks at home, and I'm sure any of you at home who have seen The Predator uh, from 2018 uh, probably have the same problem. Uh, when Kyle and I saw that movie in the theater, uh, he completely missed what happened to Sterling K. Brown, um, and I was reading online that many people missed that as well. Uh, he shoots himself in the yeah. head with a plasma cast, but it's like a, uh, it's not even a it's second. blink and you'll miss yeah. it. It's it's totally blink and you'll miss it. So. Don't feel bad if you miss. Is it, that but, what happened? Yeah. Is that what happens to Arlie Army here? He shoots him and he shoots himself in the head with a plasma gun <laughs> <laughs> that he got from Predator. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, um, that's not the it's, question. It, <laughs> it's that fast. Uh, he, so the shotgun that he's holding up to Steven Seagal, Seagal just like approaches him and then he flips it and he gets it in a position where he dips down and he has the he has the the rifle like between his legs and he shoots upward into arlie Ermy's chest it's ah. actually kind of a cool move like i don't know how practical it would be but it looks good on camera and it's very quick and the squib work on on arlie looks phenomenal nice. like they they do the buckshot routine on him if you know what that means yeah. <laughs> just kaboom <laughs> uh juicy uh but then we get the scene that i mentioned earlier where apparently this was uh producer mandated where Seagal, uh, oh, I just confirmed it, Kyle. Mm. <laughs> it is the same guy. <laughs> it is? It's, it's the same guy. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, so apparently the original cut of this film, uh, the speech at the end that Steven Seagal gives was in excess of 20 minutes long, and uh, test audiences shat all over it, yeah. yelling obscenities and getting up from their seats and stuff. That's not good when it's a free fucking movie and you're you're you may even be getting paid to fucking watch it because you're a test audience. Also, it's an anti oil uh, anti oil speech in 1994. People don't even like that now, so I can't imagine what they were like in 1994. 
Yeah, but apparently that was supposed to be a larger component of the film, and Seagal, surprise, surprise, um, actually didn't want to have it be as action-heavy as it is. Uh, the producers were stressing that we need to have more of your traditional Seagalisms in this movie in order to sell it. Uh, so apparently this uh, like melee sequence here uh, was added on uh, after the fact. Like It was additional photography, but... Um, yeah, this is just a showcase for Steven Seagal beating people's asses, uh, which honestly I think is one of the more entertaining aspects of his films. He's he's in this era he was better at moving than he was at talking. I'm gonna, for sure. I'm gonna disagree with you, Trevor. I think the more entertaining bits of his movies are when he gets to talk, because it's really corny. Usually the dialogue's really corny, and his delivery is always the same. And I just find like. Just a fascinating guy to watch, but I, I will I understand where you're coming from. Yes, his action scenes are fun. They can be fun. They can have the same kind of corniness as well, though. Okay, in in terms of like just like entertainment value without labels, yes, the 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 majority of the volume of that goes towards ironic entertainment. Yes, yes, and, and yes, that does come largely from his dialogue. Um, I guess what I'm what I'm meaning is like when it comes to genuine entertainment without oh. any irony, um, some of some of the martial arts stuff is kind of cool. Okay. Some of it, uh, see, I, not all. Of it. I was say, I get. But in terms of overall that. entertainment, absolutely, you're you're totally one hundred percent correct. Okay. Any any attempt on his part to act, oh, that's where the entertainment value is. <laughs> there's the money. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, one of my favorite bits is um in Under Siege Two, mm. where uh. He says a one-liner, and then maybe the director or the editor had it out for him or something, but he he makes a bomb out of, like, some, I don't know, liquor shakers or something. Yeah, I forgot about that. It's like coconut oil. and It's not a bomb. (laughs) It's basically... I'm serious. It's like coconut oil, some liquor, and some stuff, and then he puts a beeper on there to serve as the detonator. Yeah. Basically, like, not to go on and on and on, but he, he says, I gotta go beep somebody. And then he has this moment where he like looks down and then he looks up and his like lip is curled. He's like, <laughs> you can tell you can tell he felt bad about that delivery or maybe he felt uncertain about that line. It's like a rare, very rare instance of like vulnerability mm. on the face of Steven Seagal, <laughs> and it's pretty priceless. I gotta go beep somebody. I gotta go beep somebody. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, but yeah, he beats the shit out of a bunch of guys with like a steel pipe, and one guy just eats a fucking boot to the face that, again, looked like maybe semi-legit, like maybe semi-unintentional. <laughs> and Leave um, it. <laughs> as I said, that uh, that that poor Asian stuntman from earlier in the movie with the very prolific career, uh, he is in fact in the scene. He eats shit almost immediately, so they were aware of the fact that they'd already killed him. So good on them for at least recognizing that, oh, did we kill you the other day? <laughs> <laughs> so they did recognize that at least. But um, the, the, the glory kill of the sequence, though, Kyle, is the man with the knife. And this man has very poor knife posture. Um, what I mean by that is um, a friend of mine pointed out to me a long time ago that Van Damme, as, as graceful a martial artist as he can be, and as graceful an actor as he can be, if you put a knife in his hand, utterly clueless. He, he like holds it out straight in front of him like this, and his center of gravity is all out of whack. This guy's doing like a, th- he looks like he's holding a, a candle 
in a haunted house, <laughs> <laughs> but but with a Rambo knife. And he comes around the corner, and he 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 looks like he's like looking behind all the corners, and he's doing it all stealthy like. And then he just kind of like hands he hands the knife to Steven Seagal like it's an ice cream cone, <laughs> and uh, Seagal grabs his his forearm and wrist and jams the knife into the guy's face. Nice. Because it's Steven Seagal, he has to go the extra mile. And because he's directing oh. the movie, you can't... <laughs> yes, yes, I do remember this. He, he puts it into the guy's head, and then, like, once you've once you've punctured, like, once you've punctured a little bit and you need to get it all the way in, he gives it, like, a like a smack. <laughs> it's, even wor- it's even worse. Does it, oh, it's no, no, he smashes it against the wall, and it explodes this dude's head. Yeah, it, so... He jam he jam he takes the guy's own hand and he jams the the tip of the blade through the through the man's head. Yes. And then he turns the man around, and jams the man's head against the wall. However, the handle of the knife is sticking out in front of the man's face, so it jams the knife all the way through. His it's pretty head. badass. It's so unnecessary. It's fine. He doesn't even like retrieve the knife or anything. He just does it for fucking spite or something. Fuck it. At this point, like you've already stabbed somebody in the face. Just, just make it worse. Why not? <laughs> Jesus. Uh, but we're about to get to the final confrontation. However, I will point out that um, as I was looking over the IMDb listing for this film, apparently Michael Jai White is in this sequence uncredited. Hmm. So they've done multiple films together. Uh, I, I mean, he's one of the chief antagonists of Exit Wounds. Um, and Kyle had pointed out to me that the, just like every macho figure in Hollywood, Steven Seagal tried to start some shit with him Jesus. for real. Oh, I would love to yeah. watch that. I mean, there, there's a really famous story of a, a stuntman uh, choking him out. Steven Seagal, that is. Mm. And uh, causing him to shit his own pants. Oh, God, I hope that's real. I like to think that it's real. I would I would love to think that it's real. I can't confirm it though because everybody's been very tight lipped about it. Um, even if it, yeah. even if it's not true, the fact that it's out there bugs him. Like even if it's not true, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like like I said, this is not a man who has any sense of humor about himself. Everything he does is is true and correct. Um, the idea of him showing any sort of weakness at any point in his career is an impossibility. Yes. Um, but yeah, just the fact that that story exists brings me a lot of joy <laughs> and just that image of Stan Seagal collapsed on the floor with with Dookie in his <laughs> yeah with with the one knee like bent like, yeah. like like Peter Griffin or some shit I was thinking I was thinking Lloyd Christmas when he falls off the jetway but yeah just uh, yeah <laughs> just in a pile uh but yeah final confrontation comes next with uh Michael Caine, and uh, they they exchange some words here, and as typically is the case in a Steven Seagal movie, there is no final battle. Um, Michael Caine is shown to be a a little bit of a chicken shit heel. Uh, He just says some nasty words and tries to actually walk off and he he his justification is that you won't shoot me in the back because you're a goody goody i don't know what gave you that impression (laughs) i never yeah you know what you point out he never has an equal or anybody that can come even remotely close to getting like a shot on him and if they got a shot on him it's because he let them have it it's because they let him have it or he treats it as like a flesh wound or something like actually now that you mention it, um, there's a there's a moment in Under Siege 2 that 
um, as I'm recalling it, it almost feels like maybe he uh, he flexed some muscle on the production mm-hmm. and he he fucked with the edit a little bit because he's supposed to get shot at one point in Under Siege Two, <clears throat> but the edit when he gets shot, it's at a great distance, so it's from a sniper. So I mean, Steven Seagal does have superhuman hearing. He should have heard that bullet coming. Yeah. He should have moved. It's not his film though, so you know fucking producers man <laughs> but um but when the bullet hits him there's no squib and he doesn't even like fall down properly he just kind of like dips and they use that that like strobe slow motion effect so it almost feels like they just used footage of him like standing up from a crouch and then reversed it no. <laughs> and then like slipped it into the edit without telling him and he's like you you allowed me to get shot yeah because that la- that fight that in knife fight in under siege 2 it's just it's it is so one-sided after all that build up for everett mcgill actually seeming like a genuine badass nothing n- n- he i don't even think he lands a hit no i think all he does is like an up kick to get him off of him at one point and that's probably the funniest of his fight sequences i've seen he hits him with a pot you know <laughs> oh yeah the the, the, yeah. the hand jive the hand jive yeah. He, he vogues at him. Yeah, <laughs> a couple that's times. How you defend yeah. it. That's how you defend against knife attacks, Kyle. You vogue. You vogue. <laughs> and they just can't get. They can't break it. They just can't get in. <laughs> there's there's no way through. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, you're you're right though. He generally he genuine generally doesn't have any sort of threats in his films that can measure up to him. Even in the Glimmer Man, um, I think he allows the guy to hit him. Once you like hit me one time, just to, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure they're in the middle of a fight, and he just allows the guy to punch him in the nose, and he starts bleeding, and then he kills the guy. Obviously, like, immediately after, yeah, it yeah, it's kind of fucked. Like it doesn't lend itself very well to drama. Um, and uh, hard hard to kill had one of the the quickest wrap ups. Like very similar to M- Everett McGill, we have this build up to this bolo tied badass guy that's been chasing him the entire movie. And he kills that guy in two seconds. Actually, it's one of my favorite uh, uh, action movie quips. Where it, it's it's funny because it's bad. It's not like a "ice to see you" or mm. "let off some steam, Bennett." <laughs> uh, Remember when I said I was going to kill you last? Yeah, I lied. It's not that kind of good. Basically, he breaks a pool cue and he jams it in the guy's throat. And he says, "That's from my wife. Fuck you and die." <laughs> <laughs> but fuck you and die yeah fuck you and die (laughs) it's like what huh yeah uh yeah he uh he lassos michael kane because Mm. that's another he will soon be entering the phase of a cowboy steven seagal very shortly after this film steven seagal has had many different he shed his skin many a time (laughs) Like, like initially he was like Maybe he was at XCIA. He has that like black suit mystique. That was like the Casey Ryback kind of character. And then like he did like Italian. He was like semi Italian at one point. Then he was like a cowboy at one point. Uh, then he went to Japan for a while. Then he became Chinese. But then he stopped <laughs> being Chinese so he could turn into a Russian person. And I think oh. In, a, in that movie I watched most recently, the one with DMX, uh, he was doing a uh, southern accent. Oh, Jesus. Like a, I think it was a Georgia accent or something. So he, he, like I said, chameleon. You dip him into any terrain, he will blend into the environment. <laughs> um, but yeah, Michael Caine meets his end uh, by dream, being dropped into a vat of oil. Uh, it's 
not very spectacular, but he's now dead, for sure. Um, and the last seven minutes of the film, instead of 20, are Steven Seagal uh, giving a legit kind of good PSA yeah. <laughs> about uh, pollution and the environment and how corporations are not your friends. Yeah. And it's, it's, act- it's actually kind of impassioned and genuine. It's <laughs> actually really good. I have to I, I, say what you will. He's a terrible human being, but I appreciate the fact that he used this, like he used his platform to do this, like to send out this environmental message. And apparently that was a big part of it. Yeah. Uh, so, the, you know, there was a little bit of a stress from the producers to excise some of the material he had in there. But I mean, shit human being, but not... I don't think I can name many people in 1994 that were talking about electric cars. You know, like, I'd like to... Th- like in earnest, anyway. No, no. And not at this time. 1994, absolutely not. Um, I'd like to think that JCVD, you know, in his coke days, I I think he'd be one of those guys that he'd share. He'd like, you want a bump? Like, he'd be, he'd be a very generous... Like, he'd be a fun guy to do coke with. He'd be... But after a little bit, he'd be like, all right, now try to kick me. I'm like, nope. <laughs> I'm not going <laughs> to do that. <laughs> No, I could see Van Damme as being a very social person. I don't. I I think his preference would be to do blows blow with the with his friends rather than alone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Even if he doesn't know you. <laughs> but yeah, eventually it would turn dark. It always does. <laughs> they start my... doing the Steven Seagal thing of asking you to try to kick him. <laughs> I, hate, I hate my father. Huh? Nothing. This <laughs> is <laughs> like whoa, whoa. Okay, it's time. It's time. Time, time to go to bed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, one thing I do want to point out, for such an environmentalist, uh, he is destroying the fuck out of this uh, oil platform or whatever. Like, a lot of damage is being done to the ecosystem. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, a lot of a lot of nasty chemicals are going up into the atmosphere. Um, there are explosions aplenty in this film. However, they are all relegated to, like, the last 20 minutes of it. Yeah. But, yes, they do blow up an oil platform. Um, rendered lovingly in a decent miniature yeah. not not amazing miniature but you know it it's still a miniature I'm, i pop for those but um yeah uh, we do get like a, an awkward like almost like marvel-esque front credits <laughs> where where we do have like an aside where we get to see uh joan chen and steven seagal hanging out in a boat and they see a bird and then we resume the credits yeah it's like the hell was that <laughs> also not every okay so th- during this presentation it's mostly to different Native American tribes, what I can gather. Uh, there's just some white girl from Texas in Native American uh, dress. <laughs> like, that, she is not Native American. <laughs> oh! Yeah, it's a, it's supposed to be, like, the local government officials and and the Native tribes. Uh, Joan Chin had a funny line in the film. Uh, I don't know if you caught it, but... I don't know what it was, what, what it was in response to. But she says, "Well, I am Native American, and oh, it's it's when they're riding horses." Oh, okay, so, okay. It's like, can you ride? <laughs> I'm like, uh, no, you're Chinese. <laughs> she she's maybe a little bit Chinese, you know, Chen. Yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, it's kind of awkward that's in the movie drawing attention to that fact. <laughs> yeah, like you, we we were all pretending she was we were she was Native American. We didn't need you to say it. Yeah, you didn't need to put a bow on that for me, but <laughs> but um, last thing I guess I'll say about the movie is that the score is done by uh, Basil Polidorus, uh, who of course did uh, Conan the Barbarian, mm. Conan the Destroyer, Starship Troopers, uh, 
and many, many other beloved action properties. He does very masculine scores, which is a good fit for Steven Seagal, yeah. his stone-facedness. Uh, he also did the score for Under Siege 2, which is quite good. You know, um, and the score in this movie is quite good as well. I did not. Um, I, I promise you, I did not catch the score one time. It was, it was all in the acting. <laughs> Quote acting. Yeah, acting. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that's about all there is to say about uh, On Deadly Ground, directed by Steven Seagal from 1994. But I will uh, toss you a curveball here, real quick, mm. Kyle, and uh, ask you to name. Your favorite Steven Seagal movie, if you had to pick one, and or your favorite Steven Seagal character name, because he is famous for having some pretty solid ones, much like Schwarzenegger. Forrest Taft is not a name, so... <laughs> that That is a form of landscape and a former president. Yeah, it's not a name. I think, I think Casey Ryback is my favorite of his names, because it sounds made up, at least the last name sounds just made up. Um... I think Under Siege is probably the best of his movies. That the I've first seen. one? Yeah, the first one. Okay. I think that's probably my favorite because uh, there's very little of him, and I actually enjoy when he's on screen because it's really goofy, and the rest of the movie is pretty fun. It's a well-structured movie. Um, much much like that episode of Saturday Night Live, uh, they knew it was a good idea to maybe cut down the screen time. Yes. Like keep keep him out of keep him out of his own film. I know he is under siege, but but you know the resolution can come quick. And I had legitimate laughs from him in that. Get my pies out of the oven. Yeah, just yeah. That that's that's a gift that's worth a thousand words. Get my pies out. Get of the my oven. pies out of the oven. <laughs> Um, I think you're right. I think Casey Ryback is probably the most memorable of his names. It just has a good pop to it. Mm-hmm. And also the addition of uh, Patrick Kilpatrick in uh, in the second one saying Casey fucking Ryback, you know, that kind of solidifies it where it's th- that just strings together so beautifully. Um, a, a, a runner up, though, I would say is Mason Storm. Just because of how how 90s and how bad that is. Forrest Taft, I think, is the worst one I've heard because it's just not a name. And they don't even refer... Do they even refer... They just call him Taft in this. Mostly, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think I have one of the worst ones, though, and it was from uh, Exit Wounds. Uh, Oren Boyd? Oren Boyd. Yeah, that is just a nothing. That's just two farts. Yeah. <laughs> That's not a name. No. <laughs> like, I, I think I've called people a, a Boyd, a Boyd, just to insult them. So the, the trick <laughs> is is to have, it's it's a two-name two two name, name. One mm. name is a name. The other part, either first or last, is made up. Just one of them has to be just nonsense. Yeah, I mean that's that's generally the pattern. Uh, Gino Fellino is another one that oh, makes me chuckle. That because yeah, because that, that was that was the one where he was doing he was doing hey yo the thing that like he tried to do on Saturday Night Live. They had him do a Dice Clay impression, Kyle. Oh God. Yeah, Kyle's making a face that words can't describe. Ah, uh, yeah. No, because I'm gonna I'm gonna watch. I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna put myself back through it. <laughs> It's so bad, but yeah, Gino Fellino is a good one. Nico Toscani was the one that started it all, above the law. Um, and the one that I watched most recently, um, I don't even remember it ever being said on screen, but I just looked it up. Uh, he plays a character named Augustino Finn Adair. 
Yeah, he wrote that himself. He wrote that himself. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Jesus. Man. I hope he dies soon. <sighs> I mean that. Well, <laughs> I mean, fingers crossed, bud. <laughs> Any day now. His, his heart is in trouble, so I can tell you that much. Uh, it's under a lot of stress. He doesn't do a whole lot of standing these days. Although... I will point out he does a lot of seated roles. He does a lot of sniping in his movies these days. Does he <laughs> with a, with a bipod with a gun on on a barrel? He's not doing anything prone. Uh, he's got too much of a curve in his midsection. He can't lay prone and aim at the same time. Yeah, he... <laughs> that puts a lot of stress on your organs, Ugh. and also it, it elevates you about two feet off the ground above the rifle. Mm. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I will say this much though: that most recent movie of his, uh, Beyond the Law, I saw I saw his forearms for the first time in probably a decade <laughs> because in in more recent years he always wears a gi. Like, long sleeve <laughs> he's always no it's not a gi it's a just, gi. it's like uh, it's like chinese traditional yeah. garb from from the 1800s <laughs> from like the Qin dynasty <laughs> with a do-rag <laughs> and yellow sunglasses <laughs> Prayer beads, always prayer beads. No, these <laughs> movies, these contemporary movies are making the mistake of just like just put them on the cover and barely put them in the movie. I'm like, no, 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 guys, he is in his golden years. This is like, <laughs> he needs screen time. You really need to have him on screen. Well, what I gleaned from from this movie, and part of the fun of watching these low budget trash movies, is that I get to put my detective cap on and like try to dissect how this was made, like how this came together, and what I what I think happened here was i think they got like maybe one take for everything he did in the movie because he his dialogue scenes are are really short and they're almost all filmed from like a single angle Mm. whereas some of the cinematography some of the cinematography in the movie actually had some flavor to it like there's like colored lighting because that's the cheapest easiest way to make it look like you know what you're doing mm-hmm. um just you know put a, a thrumming soundtrack that sounds kind of like the dark knight and lots of colored like neon tube lighting in your movie and then people think it's good because they're dumb mm-hmm. um, but for all of his shots though it's just like we have this one flat boring angle and he has two lines and then we're out um, so i think th- i think that was like a rule it's like you get seagal for a day and then you're done um but yeah, long story short, I saw him in a polo shirt in this movie, and he had he had his arms bared, and I was like, I haven't seen those in years. Jesus. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, I think that's about it yeah. for our uh, On Deadly Ground and Steven Seagal discussion. This is a twofer, uh, just in case you need a Steven Seagal 101 and a 102 and everything after the fact, but... Um, if you'd like to catch up on any of our other Catching Up on Cinema content, uh, you can find all of that on our website at catchinguponcinema.com. Uh, we also have a couple social media accounts in the form of an Instagram, at Catching Up on Cinema, as well as a Twitter, at Catching Cinema. So feel free to hit us up at either of those. And the podcast is available on pretty much any platform you can imagine, including Cephalopod. So fucking Google it. Google it. Uh, but that being said, thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next time. Yeah.